Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. The Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and all that good stuff. Thank you for joining us. And if you did, you picked an excellent podcast to come to because we have located, after six months searching the galaxy, a, a Jedi master in his own right who was studying on a distant island that looked vaguely like Northern Ireland. And we tracked down Matty G. McGoy's men who is on to talk Last Jedi. Man, it's been too long. It's awesome to have you back. We're going to have to save the full catch-up for another time. Um, but needless to say, it's super fun to have you back to be talking about this movie. And uh, really quickly, just, uh, yeah, welcome back and, and h- how things. I Thank you very much. And uh, to reference Mickey Rourke in another movie owned by Disney, good to be back. <laughs> The only Mickey York movie ever owned by Disney that will ever happen. <laughs> it's quite possible. <laughs> um, so, dude, it's great to have you back. Um, there have been a number of comic book movies and TV stuff that have happened in, in the uh, months since we last talked, maybe six months ago over the summer. Uh, we will have to get to that some other time. Nothing particularly groundbreaking. We never really talked Wonder Woman, but I think we've both talked that to death at this point, so we can save that for another time as well. Yep. Um, if we have time at the end and we're feeling we're feeling uh, uh, giddy, uh, p- perhaps we'll, we'll do a run-through of the sort of four or five movies um since the summer but we are here to talk star wars the last jedi absolutely Um, now in in the pregame i asked you if you would describe yourself as someone who's not a star wars person like in all caps but you're not not a star wars person you like good star wars you definitely grew up on it a bit it's not as dear to your heart as dc comics but you really enjoy a good star wars movie is that fair to say yeah, if it's good, I like it. I have some very specific positive memories of Star Wars when I was a kid of watching Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back with my dad on like designated, this is the night I show you Star Wars night. But beyond those individual moments, it never really was a big part of my childhood the way Star Trek was. Um, but when Star Wars is good, I love science fiction, so I will obviously enjoy good star wars and thankfully the last jedi is damn good star wars the last jedi is damn good star wars and uh, i just want to tease guys this isn't going to be a super long podcast because we want to get a lot out in a short time um and i'm just pumped to have maddie back on and hear about it and i was really relieved that you liked it let alone really <laughs> liked it because you're you i consider you a tastemaker in the sense of like you're very familiar with the source material but yes. you're, you're not caught up in like you know, the philosophy of the force and bullshit like that. You know what I mean? Like for like a personal level, like you might identify with it, but you're not like someone who's going to defend the prequels or something like that. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. I don't really chew up the lore particularly. Um, one of my favorite shows that I watched this past year was the new twin peaks. Mm. And what was so good about it was twin peaks is a show that has a lot of lore to it, but it's very obvious. The director even though it's quite intricate, doesn't actually care about it. And that's what makes it so much fun to watch um, is all of this stuff that's teased that you're never supposed to think about, that you're just supposed to experience and let go. Um, So really quickly, Matt and I did many podcasts together um, about comic book movies, comic book uh, 
television mostly. Um, we had our Crossing Streams podcast. I think we made four months of that, which now that I've had another six months to survey the landscape and I'm actually getting more into following, uh, YouTubers as well. Um, and even Mm -hmm. Twitchers sustaining any series regularly for four or five months is incredibly impressive. So looking back on that, I'm very proud of those. And I've, I've re-listened to some of them. Especially when it's a hobby. Yes. Especially when it's a hobby. Um, especially when you can talk. Getting paid and doing it full time is hard as hell. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the good news, Matt, is my sound production skills are as great as ever. The bad news is I still can't pay you, but would love to at some point. <laughs> so, um, but just for the pe- both of us. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, just for the people who might have not heard from us talking in a while, or it's been a while. Um, so we covered a lot of those topics. Um, really quick, I think in retrospect, our TV talk was probably... Um, our best stuff because and that's what crossing streams kind of came from because you you sort of pushed me in a good way on tv to to commit to shows and like stick with them which is not my mo um and uh so i I, and you finally were able to get uh impress upon me enough that i was able to say no and cut the cord on one show that i watched that i was so uninterested in that i couldn't make myself watch it out of a feeling of obligation uh and that was definitely out of talking to you who have always been more willing to just say screw it to something that you're not enjoying. Well, I think the perfect example is, and this is a sci-fi example, so this will lead in great, um, Mm -hmm. was The Expanse, which is a show I wanted to like, gave up on way too quickly. You gave me a very measured response, be like, look, it hasn't been amazing in first season. It seems to be getting better. I think you'll like it if you like Battlestar and this stuff. Ended up being really good end of first season into mid second season and then kind of dropped off a cliff a little bit. And that sort of sums up why I have trouble sticking with shows because they're not all Breaking Bad. Most of them aren't. And so that makes it really tough. Um, And, uh, um, you know, I definitely moved back towards movies a lot in the meantime. But anyways, um, we had a lot of good rapport about all sorts of stuff. I think we did a post. Did we do a post um, Force Awakens? podcast yeah you me and gabriel in a podcast that i'm pretty sure gabriel never ever ever expected was gonna go like three hours um because he had he didn't know me yet and so he had no idea how easy it is for me to talk for three hours about bullshit yeah and he's even less of like a star wars head than you so it was was interesting (laughs) um so okay cat so you grew up like all of us we love luke skywalker growing up this will come back in the discussion um, my recollection is you liked Force Awakens pretty well. You weren't a yes. huge fan of Rogue One. Um, also, so yes. let's just jump right in. Just to tease it though, because I teased it, so tease the tease. Uh, there are two series topics, like meta topics, that you know, uh, and the Bizzlecast listeners know I like to talk about. One thing I learned from you was to work on pushing those two topics back as far as possible in the podcast for the most part. One is box office, right. um, which I really only talk about when it's like Wonder Woman and it completely shatters uh, trends in all ways. Sure. Um, uh, I don't talk about bombs though these days, you know, cause like I don't say what you about justice league. I don't think the money says one thing or another about justice league, uh, in that case, for example. And, and that was something, you know, I've been learning not to get too caught up in that. The other one uh, is one that you are more interested in, in some cases, which is sort of sociopolitical, you know, sociological, anthropological commentary on like the audience and blah, blah, blah. Even sure. then though, gotta be careful. So I know you do want to 
address what is seeming more and more like semi-fake news faux conspiracy because I don't know about you, I'm really having a hard time finding people who truly hated this movie that aren't just uh, characters on Twitter. Yeah, I so... I think part of what you're referring to is this weird disparity between audience score on Rotten Tomatoes and critical score on Rotten Tomatoes. I What I can't tell is how many of the people who have so hated Last Jedi actually hate it for itself or basically just get off on antagonizing things and they just like being enraged about shit. And for whatever reason, they picked this to be the thing they're enraged about now. Like some of them, I'm sure it, it comes from some real place of love or possessiveness towards Star Wars. And that was kind of the one of the meta themes I want to get into is whether or not it's possible to consume all of the Star Wars um, or if these are just professional trolls, for lack of a better word, or people who fetishize the argument, the argument and the anger. Mm-hmm. And this is just how they, they get their rocks off, for lack of a better word. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, it's certainly from a, a, a very specific demographic, and I'm not just pulling Men. that from nowhere because they identify themselves as that demographic, and their qualms are about white yeah, white men 30 years and older. Yeah, um, and and that part of it, you know, Freud once said sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. There is also just a virulent racism and sexism at the core of some of this criticism. Not everybody who has a problem with this film is like that, and not. Every criticism of these films are like that, but that is clearly at play. I mean, and it's as simple as that in some cases. Okay, so I th- look. Here's what I think our gameplay should be. We we we've teased that enough. We'll we'll do a longer discussion at the end. It'll be different lengths or, or depths depending on how we feel at the time. But we definitely want to go a little bit more in depth at the end. I will say, you know, you being in the media. Um, it's interesting in 2017 that people put any stock in online polls when (laughs) all of the random professional unaffiliated polling that's done with like cinema score where they ask people directly after the movie Mm -hmm. has this as like an a, um, even justice league, I think had like a B plus or something. Um, whereas like BVS had like a B minus, uh, which is really bad in their score system. Suicide mm-hmm. Squad was C plus, blah, 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 blah. Um, and even on IMDB where you have to be registered and somewhat certified to vote, it's got close to an eight, which is quite, quite right. decent. Um, and, uh, I was looking in the Rotten Tomatoes, it's 150,000 people. So if you do the money for that, that's about a million or $2 million in a $2 right. billion dollar for franchise so we'll we'll talk more about some of the sociological stuff at the end i'm happy to see um the third category which is uh, people that i follow podcasters other star wars nerds who take it even way more seriously than me and we're very disappointed in, in some cases the first time they saw it but but remained open-minded and saw it a second and or third time and almost across the board they all really like it to love it at this point which right y- you know that's asking a lot from movie viewers especially people who are so attached to the material so let's get into what we liked about this so my leading question into this and i think the theme for this is characters mm-hmm. and i always say the, the the reason that i i consider the force 
Awakens a great Star Wars movie and not just a good one is because of how good the characters are. And when the right, it, writing Absolutely. is hitting, it hits so well that I'm willing to forgive other stuff, you know, which, which doesn't even bother me that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is, what were your expectations going into The Last Jedi? And just like Ryan Johnson awesomely jumps right into the fleet battle in the beginning... Right. When did your expectations meet the reality of, like, you know, w- where you were like, okay, I thought it was going to be this and it is this, or I thought it was going to be this and it's something totally different? Like, what was that moment based on your expectations? Well, I thought I was going to enjoy it just because while I hadn't read any reviews or podcasts because I really wanted to avoid spoilers. I waited a week to see it just because it was a my Christmas Eve movie with my family. Uh, and I was able to do that, which uh, props to my friends on social media for not spoiling it for me. Yep. So I, I knew it was getting good reviews, so I thought I would like it. I was a little bit concerned that I was going to see something that was too much like Star Wars that I'd already seen in the way that The Force Awakens is very, very, very similar to the original Star Wars, just with new character names. I mean, it's not a shot-for-shot remake, but the broad strokes of the narrative, almost the same movie as the original Star Wars. And I'm not even, like, mad about that. I like The Force Awakens, but I was thinking I was going to see something that was going to owe too much of itself to just carried over love for Empire Strikes Back, which is, you know, the second film in the original trilogy. Yep. Um... And really from the bombing run, which was a really visually different thing, something I don't think I've ever seen in Star Wars, a big space battle like that, I started to realize that Ryan Johnson really had some new ideas in all sorts of ways, and he was going to bring him to this movie. You know, and I found myself getting into the film very, very quickly, yeah. like quicker than I got into force awakens which i liked pretty early on but you know the initial finn escape scene and the kylo ren stuff where he kills max von Sydow, that stuff i thought was only okay and then once we meet ray i thought it started to get good and then force awakens i I mean uh rogue one i didn't get into until the attack on uh maldives yes i I don't remember what the planet is actually called but they shot it at yeah yeah so the sec the first half of the movie i didn't find engaging i don't want to debate that Um, no no no. but this one hooked me from from the end of the opening crawl in some ways it hooked me from the beginning of the crawl because that burst of john williams score i just i snapped awake you know it'd been two years since i'd heard that because rogue one the score is different and frankly i don't think as good john williams is the perfect star wars score he is still my favorite film score of all time i think he's the best and just from that initial burst of a theme we've heard seven times before, I was into this one. You know, I really was. Quick, uh, quick couple comments. So basically, guys, tonight um, I'm going to let Matt. I, I, you know, I always say this, but really, I'm going to let Matt do most of the talking because I have <laughs> um, uh, actually, Matt. I, I have done a bunch of short podcasts um, right. with buddies, but most of them have been like in the thirty to forty minute range on purpose. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of my talking online, trying to 
do some substantive talking without spoiling things. I have warned certain friends of mine, like Adam Tuck, who I specifically said, right. you should unfollow me for the next few months. <laughs> um, I won't be offended. And he's like, I already did. I'm like, cool, man. <laughs> he's like, he's, he's like, you're the worst. I like, I know. Um, but, um, and part of that is just because my definition of a spoiler is completely different than most people's. And I think right. one of the cool things about me and you is we always talk about our philosophy about it's not that you can't, you, you, Matt, it's not that you can't see a movie again and like it as much or more. I believe Mad Max falls in that category for you. Am I reaching yes. for straws? Yeah. Um, but you put a lot of stock, and by the way, you are would be like 90% of smart movie <laughs> watchers and putting a lot of stock in the first viewing. Whereas Absolutely. I'm always, I already bought the Blu-ray for Last Jedi, and it's not even available on Amazon yet. So I'm already looking like way down the road. And by the way, I realized, dude, I only saw Rogue One three times in theater. I've only seen okay. Last Jedi. It, I was wrong. It wasn't four. I canceled one. It's three. And I might see it one more time. And I'm purposefully, unlike the comic book movies, not seeing it too many times because I don't want to rob myself of that flight to San Francisco when I could watch three Star Wars movies back to back on my computer and love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you know, Rogue One is dear to my heart. I, and, I, yep. and I have... Um, I've sort of embraced the the varied opinions on Rogue One, and I think, you know, and I think the fan base overall is getting smarter, and we'll get to this later. The, the the smart fans are getting smarter and are able to not get offended. People are able to, at least on podcasts, have more discussions and less yeah. arguments. And I think that one thing I found, Maddie. Um, and you know I've been working with these Australian folks um, yep. from Novastream who are awesome, who, by the way, have like interviewed people from Supergirl and Geek cool. and Sundry um, Network. Um, they've interviewed at least three or four tabletop uh, regulars um, and uh, other people from that scene. Um, but anyways... They're total DC nerds, as you know. I think right. you know that they're DC people. Um, right. And they cover a ton of CW and stuff like that. And I was on their podcast recently, and they've been on my podcast. And they are loving the new Star Wars. And they were not huge Star Wars fans. So that's that's very telling uh, for me. But anyways, the, one thing I've noticed since the last time you and I have talked is there's a huge increase in Star Wars podcast, and it's skewing younger and more female. Uh, like, for Good. sure. Like, it's the number of... Think. Yeah, the number of of female podcasters doing Star Wars in their 20s is like a ton. And a number of them are very, very high quality. Um, and so uh, I, I just think that the, the discussion is is kind of getting better on all this. And so, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't take this stuff that personally. Um, and, and I'm to the point with movies even that I love. I don't know if you if you feel the same way where... As long as it's someone you respect, you just, you know, you just listen to what they have to say. And you're like, cool. We don't agree on yeah, this. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't even have to be somebody I respect. I, like, the movie that means probably the most to me on an emotional level is Ghostbusters, the, the first one. But if you, if some random guy, even somebody I don't like were to launch into a rant about it, I would just go, okay, fine, you don't like Ghostbusters. Who... 
I feel like there's bigger fish to fry than to waste emotional energy caring about what somebody else thinks of a movie. I, they're mm-hmm. all just movies. I mean, yep. don't we have better things to do with our time than that? Yep. So back to the opening scene and you getting right in. So your expectation levels were above average, but not through the roof, but you got into it pretty quickly, it sounds yeah. like. So walk me through that sort of opening space battle and then made some really cool uh, transitions from that to Ray uh, with Luke <laughs> with some unexpected things on Octo and then Kylo mm-hmm. Ren. Uh, those first three kind of big pieces. Uh, what were your general impressions of that sort of first act of the, of the film? Well, obviously, the first thing in this movie that I think pissed a lot of people off, I, I personally really enjoyed it, was the I'm holding for General Hawks, you yep. know, this sort of self-aware, mocking sense of humor that was not – that hasn't been part of any previous Star Wars movie. One, I laughed a lot. I thought it was really funny. Um, and two, it did strike me as – okay, this guy is going to try to bring a different sense of humor to this, to a franchise that maybe has sometimes taken itself a bit too seriously, um, and maybe a fan base that sometimes takes itself a little too seriously with this story about space wizards. Um, But he was saying, okay, I've got a new sense of humor, I'm going to bring it. And when I realized that, I realized, I wonder what he's going to bring to this. Like, Can you say that one more time? Wonder wonder what's going to bring to what? What what else that's different is Ryan Johnson okay. going to bring to this? Because mm-hmm. what's the point of making new Star Wars movies if you're not going to do some new stuff? Yeah. You they know, s- not everything's going to work, but why not try something new? I, I don't want to see the same Star Wars again. Yeah. And he was hired and started writing before Force Awakens was even finished. So yeah. they knew they wanted something different in the middle. Kathleen Kennedy mm-hmm. is like obsessed with him. They've now given him a new trilogy. Uh, we can yep. maybe talk later about whether that's a good idea. I think it was a very good idea from what we've seen. Um, I'm more excited for that than JJ's Episode Nine. I got to be honest, just because I think Johnson is a more creative filmmaker. So oh, I think I think um, Episode Nine is going to be the modern. Uh, bigger, but more kind of self-aware JJ, Return of the Jedi, uh, Galactic War, which, right. to be frank, I'm totally fine with. Someone pointed out that's actually the reverse of the original trilogy, where you had New Hope, and then mm-hmm. a two-parter, an Empire, and Return of the Jedi, whereas this feels like a two-parter. And we know almost yeah. for sure, now that Luke's gone and Leia's going to be gone, and it seems for sure there's going to be like a few-year time jump, uh, yeah. that it's almost a reverse. Nine's going to be its own thing. And now that they've gone through all the tropes from the original three movies, which we'll get to, uh, and that's the one thing that does excite me about J.J., but we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Right. Um, so, going into this, you know how we always used to talk about act structures and mm-hmm. like... Uh, you know, Avengers, as amazing and classic as it is, is like very much a classic five act structure. Yeah. Um, with the helicarrier stuff in the middle, and you just sort of work out from there, right? Um, right. By the way, people, I try not, I will try not to uh, over promote awesome stuff that me and Matt have done, but I did listen a couple weeks ago to our Avengers commentary. Uh, on a long road trip, and I was laughing my ass off, dude. I don't think we had one moment of silence that whole time. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the, the 
the, the thing that I think people both like, and this is the other thing I've been realizing about movies, is just that like the thing I like about some movies like Rogue One is exactly the thing other people don't like, and I have to appreciate that. And one of it is that Rogue One is just two giant acts, and it's clearly yes. missing 30 minutes, which we know is the case. And there's one act that's a very slow burn that speaks to some people, not others, and people are completely down the middle. And then there's the final act uh, culminating in the best climax so far, except maybe this movie, which we'll get to um, in Rogue One. But I think it's safe to say even people who are lukewarm on Rogue One had a blast in in the final act. But it was, yeah, it was like two acts. This movie was like a bazillion acts and no acts all at the same time yes um yeah did you like the sort of cheeky but clever transitions where it goes from the whole beginning scene which i want to talk more about to uh finn saying where's ray goes to ray and then Chewie starts yelling at Luke, and Luke goes, where's Han, or what happened to Han, and then immediately, you know, Kylo Ren, um, and that sort of stuff. Um, I, I really liked that, but it did throw me th- uh, for a loop early on, a loop that I liked. I like that stuff. I like that, you know, it gets away from the classic side screen wipe that's pretty much iconic star wars transitions i think there's one wipe that like comes out of a helmet so it's like a circular fade out sort of a thing um so i actually thought the way they transitioned between scenes uh was very clever i agree the structure of this film was a little bit weak and the complaint that i do agree with everybody about is that it's a little too long and it's too long in the middle so that the climax which is spectacular I couldn't help. I was just a little tired of the movie at that point, and I wished I had gotten there sooner because I would have felt even more pumped for how it ends, which was spectacular. Yeah. And and that's why I was ultimately, even though I still want the director's cut, which I don't know if we'll ever get of Rogue One, I was fine with them chopping because, specifically because it dragged early on, it was smart to not make it a two and a half hour movie. I think it's like two hours, four minutes or something. So, you know, even if you're bored for a while, uh, force awakens was in between the two. I think it was like two hours, 15 minutes. Force Mm -hmm. awakens also dragged in the middle. Um, although for very different reasons, um, uh, but we're not there yet. So we knew that this was by necessity going to have some empire esque, stuff going on here structure wise it had to be and we started with what was essentially the uh started with the post hoth battle where the ships are trying to jump yep uh very reminiscent of new caprica with Battlestar as well just trying to like keep off the bad guys long enough to jump into hyperspace um kind of thing um and uh you know i i and i think setting up poe early on um i know a lot of nerds that did not like the the poe bit at the beginning with hux but you have to admit it perfectly mirrors his bit with kylo at the beginning of force awakens where it's so serious and dark in that movie and then all of a sudden poe dameron just starts being a smart ass uh, here he really gets the better of Hux. People have described this as the Tony Stark dialogue. I have no problem with that in small quantities. Right. And the difference is in, in Marvel, Tony Stark does it and then wins everything. 
here he does it and buys just enough time for almost everybody, but not everybody to die. Like the stakes are so much (laughs) higher. And that'll be a theme I'd love to talk about if you want going forward is that, you know, whether it's up or down at certain parts, the stakes always felt super high here, even if it was forced at certain points. So were Mm -hmm. you in on sort of the, like, look, we knew there was going to be the resistance. We knew that there was going to be a Poe, Finn, Rose thing with, right. with, with, with Princess Leia and the fleet. We knew that Ray and Luke was going to be a huge thing. We knew there would be a Kylo thing. I was very surprised and very happy with how they worked in Kylo in the middle of the movie, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, spoiler, there's a reason the main posters featured Ray, Kylo, and Luke. It was their movie. Um, so we'll get a little bit more to that. But were you thrown off by it or expecting an empire type structure where the team is split and there's different storylines. It felt like, okay, I, I, these, some of these transitions are weird, but I, like, you know, it's, it's, it's nature of the beast. Yeah. I was okay with where everybody sort of was located. I, I understood that this was sort of, this was something from empire that Ryan Johnson was kind of translating the idea of everybody starts in different locations and then they're kind of, they coalesce together without really realizing that they're kind of all headed to the same climax um, or the same scene for the climax. Uh, but so I, I was fine with that. Um, I, you know, the, all the flashing back and forth, I think got a little confusing, um, yep. especially once Finn and Rose go off to Canto bright, but otherwise I, I was okay with kind of the setting, how it starts, um, because it is, again, very much like Empire or where Empire is after about 15 minutes when they get off Hoth. I will say this. This movie has made me think a lot about it in between viewings compared to other movies. Um, I mean, Rogue One was just a shock to the system, the final 15 minutes. But in terms of a film, this has really stuck with me. Even the stuff I haven't liked or gone from liking to not liking and vice versa. So I'll leave it to you. Would you rather start with what was clearly the best and most important stuff and we knew would be with Ray, Kylo, and Luke? Um, and then work to the other plot lines, or would you rather start with the other plot lines that were a little bit maybe more uneven and, and work towards the big three? I think I'd like to start with the stuff that I like the most, and that includes definitely uh, the characters. Awesome. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Mm-hmm. Who was the best character in, in your view in this movie, and who was the most important character if they were different? Uh, my answer to both is Kylo. Yep. I thought Kylo Ren, Adam Driver, I thought he killed it. I thought he, even more than Ray, although Ray does this as well, embodied the general message of this film, which I don't think is, you know, is mu- very much uh, without, you know, I don't think this is very debatable, which is that the point of this movie is forget the past and move forward. And he is the focal character of that entire message. Um, and we can get into some of the ways in which that's not meant as a hostile message. That's mm-hmm. actually supposed to be comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, By which the way, I think is another. Yeah, uh, just really quickly, I meant to set this out in the beginning and actually in the pregame. Um, I'm only going to bring up official new canon if it applies directly to something you're saying 
like if you have a question or or needs fleshing out. Otherwise, I'm, we're going to talk just about this movie. But the Gray Jedi stuff they have been seeding for a couple of years. So if that's something you want to talk about, great. If not, doesn't matter. But you're you're headed in that direction. So go go start with Kylo because I agree with you. I mean. Dude, Adam Driver owned the trailers, and I don't yeah. think it changed from the first trailer to the end of this movie. No, I agree. I, I thought his performance was terrific. I thought his character took a number of steps forward in complexity and interest that made sense given what was there in Force Awakens, but also I think Ryan Johnson found a lot more depth than there maybe was in that performance because kind of the the writing and the script and everything and all, everything about Force Awakens I think was a very straightforward and that doesn't necessarily leave a lot of opportunity for development and nuance and mm. Ryan Johnson found a way to like found the kernels of that in Force Awakens and brought all of it to the forefront in this movie. So an interesting meta question is whether. Um, who has sort of the, the the more thankless task of JJ in the first uh, or episode seven having to set up all these characters and by necessity not being able to go nearly as deep as he wanted to, even if he could or would or was able to, or Ryan Johnson who had to take what was already there and and take it to uh, a whole new level and which I want you to answer, but question B for that is. I think all of us, you know, I know you don't think about this nearly as much as I do, and that's very healthy. Um, but <laughs> I think all of us knew that to go back to the very first Bizzlecast when I, I talked about retroactive retrospection, how the, the, the present changes the past in our memories of experiencing things. And I, I was very hopeful that this movie wouldn't just be Ryan going, Hey JJ, nice work, buddy. I'm going to completely ignore. I mean, your characters are great, but I'm going to do something totally different um, with the characters. And after watching this, I think it was a perfect balance of, uh, appreciating and exploiting in a positive way the good things JJ did with the characters, taking it to new directions, but somehow maintaining similar tones uh, w- when necessary. Does does any of that make sense? I just threw a lot at you there, but just in terms of like looking at the two movies side by side now, especially with Kylo Ray and uh, sorry Kylo and Ray. I got to be honest, I lost track of that question. So, okay. I, so, so are you first, asking which I think is the greater accomplishment, Force Awakens or Last that Jedi? That was more rhetorical. I guess the question I'm more interested in is, were you consciously going into this movie going, if this movie's good and the characterizations are good, then Force Awakens might end up being better, um, if that makes sense, like unfulfilled well, sure. p- I mean, potential. The- like, can I give you an example? People often uh, cite uh, Empire Strikes Back as the dimensionality of Vader, but it really doesn't happen until Luke starts trying to turn him in uh, Return of the Jedi. I mean, their confrontation at the end of Empire is fantastic, but from the very beginning of Return of the Jedi, Vader is very uneasy about Luke, and you can tell that Luke's working him before Luke even knows that he's working him. And just like in Return of the Jedi, Luke Skywalker wins this movie without a lightsaber battle, and it's fantastic, but we'll get there but do you see what i'm saying about how like we just don't know what everything's gonna look like for better or worse till we see this whole goddamn trilogy sure 
Although, I mean, to your in, in initial question, yeah. the point of any second movie in a trilogy is to continue and further and expand on the stuff in the first one. If it just does the same thing again, that's kind of a waste. Right. Um, but for example, you know. I think the Poe comedy bit with, with, with Hux, as an example, was right. a tiny bit forced, but it was just because Ryan was trying to echo and get people comfortable with something they were familiar with from episode seven. Because remember, the people seeing these movies are a much bigger population than the people seeing Rogue One and definitely the cartoons and the books and stuff like that, right? Right. This general audience movie. So seeing Poe being a badass in the beginning and being a smartass, but also making some bad decisions, I think was intentional, especially because they really wanted and needed to make Poe uh, a more dimensional character. So we're going to yes. bookmark that because as you maybe know, I mean, you know, I love Leia, but I was particularly interested in the relationship between Leia, Holdo and, and Poe going into this. We'll get to that second, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, they, it's really cool that they did the smart thing and sort of had pairs of two or three in these different storylines. So back to Ray um, and, and Luke and Kylo, um, and just for the sake of, of getting this moving a little bit more, I think we should not try and jump chronologically. I think we should stick with like like a pastiche, you know, like like stitching sure. together all, all of Octo essentially um, until they converge. So from the moment Luke throws the lightsaber over his shoulder, first of all. Right. What was your reaction to Luke throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder? I laughed, which I think was the point. I Was it a Ryan cheap Johnson, laugh or, or, or an earned laugh? Well, I don't think it's cheap because I get what Ryan Johnson is doing. Just like with the tooling, to use the word that, that they use in the movie, General Hux, these moments of humor early on are meant to send a clear message that Ryan Johnson gets what Star Wars was, and he's not super interested in continuing that. And again, so you have this wonderful sweeping shot at the end of Force Awakens. Really, one of the best sp- single shots, I thought, of that whole movie was Ray holding out the lightsaber to, you know, to Luke. And it's so strong and powerful and serious. And then the new movie is like, that was a bit of a ruse. Ha ha ha, here's a gag. Now, does that undercut the emotional weight of the how Force Awakens ends? Maybe, but I'm confident enough in Ryan Johnson to want to see why he makes that choice. And I think given what the message of this movie is, that choice to undercut the emotional weight of how Force Awakens ends makes complete sense. And it works from a narrative and meta narrative perspective with this film. The cynical interpretation is, and I've heard a couple podcasters say this, um, not not out of any sort of bitterness, but uh, it actually makes sense. It, it felt like Ryan Johnson read every single fan theory and was like, okay, what's the one thing that literally nobody has said? Now, to be fair, Amon came on this podcast and said, I predict the first thing Luke Skywalker does is drop the lightsaber and force throw Ray like across the island, which I thought was brilliant, and I could have totally seen something like that. So he was tapping into something wacky happening. I don't think most fans thought that that was going to happen. Um, I also think, man, on repeat viewings, 
like he thinks she's a charlatan in the beginning i think or something like he's so far gone he might not even know that that's his own lightsaber is that possible or was that just for dramatic effect I think he knows what it is, and he just doesn't care. Yeah. You know, Ryan Johnson, one, he has said in interviews that when he sat down to make these movies, he wanted to make something that was personal to him, just like when Lucas made his movies, he wanted to make something that was – Lucas wanted to make something that was personal to Lucas. And he said, if I really spent a lot of time trying to think about what fans did or didn't want, I'd make a shitty movie that I wasn't proud of, and they would still hate me for it. So – like that's a direct quote of his. Um, so it's lovely to think that he read all the fan theories and thought, well, what can I do that's not going to appease any of them? I don't really think that was the case. Um, you know, so one, is that his lightsaber or isn't it? Because he's had a couple. Didn't he make a new one? Like he had one in, in Star Wars mm-hmm. and Empire, and then he builds a new one in Jedi. Because yeah, Vader, when he, he meets him in Jedi, says you've constructed a new lightsaber. So, yeah, which saber is that, and whose is it? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so one of the best parts was the whole Kurosawa esque revisiting of that moment with different memories thing uh, with right. him and Kylo. Yeah. A lot of people have said it's Rashomon. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the Rashomon thing, which 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 is great because Lucas loves Kurosawa, but he never actually made use of the Rashomon thing just because he never did flashbacks. That was right. uh, this movie had flashbacks and slow motion, which we'll get to, which have never happened before, really, in Star Wars. Um, but um, I, I think that the, the implication is that the lightsaber was lost or stolen or destroyed in that scuffle. Right. He does not seem to have a lightsaber, which is why when he wields the blue one at the end, if you weren't already clued into the fact that something weird was happening, the fact that he was using the blue lightsaber that we knew Ray had at that point. Um, although I will say, dude, I was so in it at the end. Of that. I didn't. Yeah. Well, there's a lot. I, I didn't know this till my second viewing because I was just so in it. But yeah. So he does. He doesn't have a lightsaber on on the island. That's it. And that's that is. Anakin mm. Skywalker's blue lightsaber um, oh, okay. from back in the day. Somehow, when it dropped in Cloud City, Maz Kanata ended up with it, and that's going to be a really interesting story. Which she says, and you know, the first movie in a cheeky way is like, oh, "That's a story for another time, not now." So somehow, between Cloud City, you know, Luke almost falling and the lightsaber falling, uh, somehow Maz Kanata got a hold of it, gave it to Rey, and so right. forth. Uh, so yeah, that is Vader's old school blue, uh, you know, Anakin's blue lightsaber. Okay. Meanwhile, I hope I never find out any of the things like how Maz got it or any of that. Like all that backstory lore stuff. If you're a Star Wars fan that likes that stuff or gets off on it, awesome. That's great. I'm glad you like it that way. For me, though, there are these larger themes and ideas in Star Wars that we don't get in a lot of other mainstream sci-fi franchises. And I would so much rather have a film that explores that, even if it's at the cost of lore. Like I, A lot of people were pissed that we never find out who Snoke is. Whatever. Snoke wasn't that cool in the first place. He just was a big CGI face with a scar on the side or like he was missing his cheek. So... So what that we don't have his backstory? He's a bad guy who can use the force, and ultimately he proves, you know, pointless. You know. Yeah. Well, this I is was one, happy with that. Yeah. I, I, well, I don't I, need I, to know everything yeah. about everything. Right. But what's great is if you want to know everything about everything, they're not going to tell you. 
Um, and uh, this one I want to talk to it. <laughs> we'll get not only that they're open about it. I mean, the main sort of public faces of the Lucasfilm story group, uh, including Pablo Hidalgo, who's like the main brain trust, and he does all the visual dictionaries and the technical guides and like the encyclopedia stuff. Uh, Matt Martin, uh, Dave right. Filoni, who does all the animated series and is now in charge of their entire animated division, which m- makes us all think there's a big animated project coming up down the line, which probably should be cool. Um, anyways, they have this brain trust, right? And they talk about all right. these things. They troll, like Mark Hamill, they lovingly troll fans online about this stuff all the time. And on top of but, that, even though they said five years ago that there's going to be canon and non-canon, they have released in the last three months three books that specifically uh, subscribe to from a certain point of view. And they're not committing to whether they're just tales of Luke Skywalker or you know actual stories, which is great. But they will tell you when it is canon, but you don't have to read it. And what's great is they will work in little things from the books to the movies and vice versa, but they are not relying on those secondary materials at all, or they're trying not to and selling it to people. So I do hope we get the Moz story, but I hope it happens in literature or in the cartoons. Yeah, exactly. I'll watch it and you don't care. It's great. Yeah, exactly. That's, that is a perfect compromise for me. They could do a Marvel Comics four-part thing explaining who Snoke is, and people who want to know that can get it. But I think putting that in a movie would just bog it down more. You know whose origin we never got? Hmm. The Emperor. Did anybody care that Emperor Palpatine, we didn't know what his deal really was? Oh, we got it with three we amazing it, prequels. <laughs> When we finally found out who Emperor Palpatine was, nobody liked it. It was terrible because everything in those movies is terrible. Yep. Backstory doesn't make everything better. Although really quickly, it, it, a lot of times it makes it worse. Really quickly, if they were to, if you, I think someone's done this. If you do a supercut of just Ian McDermott in the prequels, it's awesome. He's, he's the and good you realize stuff. nothing yeah. else is good except for him in the prequels. But yeah, yes. No, I, I agree with all of that, but just. You know, the fact that we got Emperor Palpatine's origin story is not considered the positive of the prequels, even if the acting performance was good. It's just another thing that was bad in a series of movies that were all bad. Okay, so as we get into the relationship between Luke and Rey and then the bizarre... Uh, you know, face-to-face, you know, cross-galactic confrontations between Rey and Kylo Ren, which we're not really sure where they're coming from first, and we get tons of force. Great. Um, I I mostly want to focus on them. I will say, I thought there was going to be, I thought people were going to react negatively to the amount of philosophical talk in this movie. We've never had this much force exposition ever. I thought it was great, and people seem to be down with it. Yeah, and it, it helped that when <laughs> that amazing scene where Ray's like, I feel something. I feel something. It's the Force. It's the Force. <laughs> and Luke just smacks her, which is great. Um, and then she, oh, she's like, oh, yeah. I, I like that they let Ray be funny in this, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, and then she does reach out. And then you get a very, uh, I thought, Looper esque montage where she's, you know, feeling all the sides of the Force and talking about uh-huh. it, life and death, with quick cuts to the island and under the island. It reminded me of uh, some of the memory time travel stuff from Looper. I knew he was going to nail that stuff and, and the telekinesis stuff just from that movie alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought that 
I was listening to a podcaster say like, there was nothing in that Ray monologue that we didn't know, but it somehow feels new and cooler because of how that was done. Agree, disagree, neutral? I agree. And it actually speaks to a second theme that I think, you know, when we talk about what this movie did really differently, one thing I want to get into at some point is this movie is about the, for lack of a better word, democratization of Star Wars and of the Jedi and of the Force. And that dialogue is the first thing that I thought really made clear this idea that the Force is something maybe everybody can access if they want to. You know, that it is this energy force in between people that, uh, you know, that everyone has. He says, if you kill all the Jedi, the the good side of the Force doesn't go away because it can't be destroyed. It is the balance between the good and the evil. It is the Force that drives you from one to the other and back again. You know, and then at the end, when we see this random little servant boy who looks like he has force powers, that crystallizes this idea that maybe this is something everybody could have been using all along and not the special genetically pure wizard subspecies. Matt, this is an issue where you and I completely agree, and the hardcore nerds are still holding on to the whole Anakin wholly birthed by the Force, hoping Rey was birthed by the Force. Only the Skywalkers and certain genetic people can get it, which I hate, absolutely. It's very Aryan. It's very Aryan. It's also one of the most controversial parts of Tolkien, right, is the idea that there was higher men and lower men. Yeah. And the thing is, when you watch Lord of the Rings or read it, it's clear that Aragon is, you know, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's objectively better than the average human, you know? Yeah. But that doesn't justify the ideology, right? And it feeds into the, the Nazi stuff, which the First Order is supposed to be. And so. Here- well, some people have said the First Order is the alt right. And the original yeah. empire are the Nazis, and I think there's actually some validity to that analogy. Yep. Um, you, you know that this is what's in, been inherited by the death of the empire. These angrier, burn it all down, which is literally what the current leader of the First Order says. Uh, you know, mentality that wasn't really what the Nazis wanted, but seems to be what the alt right kind of wants. Yep. So, well, um, and to be fair, real quick. Um, you know, I said leading up to Rogue One that I thought the Trump election was going to affect it one way or the other, and there was a major, not as nearly major, but there was an alt-right reaction to that very publicly to protest Rogue One. Even Trump, you know, said Star Wars is for losers or something like that. Of course. Um, and I think this is because this is the bigger movie and it's the Skywalker stuff and because things are even more divided now a year later, it's crystallized even more. So I absolutely think there's a lot uh, going on there uh, to what you are saying. But the democratization of the Force is totally on point and it's just one of those things that some Star Wars nerds are hung up on that only some mm-hmm. people can have it and other people can't. And I, you know, it's, you know, have you seen The Incredibles? Oh, yeah. Multiple so, times. Love that movie. What's the most controversial line in that movie? If yeah. every uh, if everybody's special, no one is. Is that the line you're talking about? Yeah. Which is both offensive and true, right? I mean, it's... Or, well, it's Ayn Randian objectivism. Right. So, the question is, what I'm hoping will come out of this is there's a middle ground, 
where just like in real life, there are people who are going to be better force users than others, but it's not about their metachlorian count. It's about right. all the other parts of their personality. And I thought it was very subtle the way that Ray was very emotional and constantly angry and agitated, but she never became Anakin-y ever throughout the movie. Like, she fought with such ferocity, beating up Luke (laughs) briefly, and then even more ferocity when she was fighting with Kylo at the end. But as soon as Mm -hmm. the fight was done, it was like she centered herself again. And in the old Jedi way, they would say, no, 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 don't fight with anger. You know, never fight with anger, never fight with passion. She seems to have figured out, and Luke discovers at the end that, like, yeah, there is a middle ground here. We don't have to be a bunch of Catholic priests. Like, we can have passions and learn to, you know, control them and channel them. I thought that was something I, I, I thought was somewhat subtle, if you're not steeped in Star Wars lore about Jedi philosophy. Well, what I find interesting is that the key emotions of the Force up until this movie, I would say, were anger and fear. That if you can overcome those, you can be a Jedi, and if you fall, or a Green Lantern, as it turns out, or if you fall victim to them, you become a Sith. That that fear and anger, they lead to suffering, uh, which I think is, that seems like that was just taken from some of this like Buddhism stuff, which you would probably know better than me. Yes. Um, that, but yeah, anger the, and fear... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, the anger leads to fear leads to suffering is directly from the uh, the Dharma and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, so those are the two emotions that are at the core of Force stuff up until this movie. But in this movie, I think really what it is is shame and guilt. Mm. You know, that Ray feels shame over what she has always known, which is that she is not royal, she is not noble, she is just the daughter of two poor people who sold her into slavery for food rations. Which is way cooler than her being a Skywalker. Right. You know, Luke has lost access to the Force because of the shame and guilt he feels over uh, his moment of weakness and the way he's interpreted that's causality to everything that's gone on since. And Adam Driver is, I'm sorry, Kylo Ren is motivated by his shame and guilt feelings of unworthiness of the legacy of his grandfather which destroying the vader mask right away and then he's unmasked the rest of the time really clever visual trick i i don't know if a lot of people are talking about that but it was really interesting yeah yeah but he destroys it and he never wears it again he is just unmasked after yeah snoke mocks him yeah you're just a boy in a mask, and he destroys the mask, and then, in that way, kills the past, lets the past die, which is what he says needs to happen, and then becomes the truest version of, of himself. You know, He kills Snoke, another person pushing him to just follow in the legacy of somebody else, and when he stands on his own, it turns out, actually, he's still maybe evil, mm-hmm. but okay. you know, he's not wearing a mask pretending to be Vader anymore. So, um, quick, quick uh, shout out, and then I want to go Ray, Luke, Kylo in that order. Okay. Um, quick shout out. Given the limitations of this character and that they never knew what to do with him, and I think they did the right thing in the end by just killing him, even if that was exactly like the Emperor. I Andy Circus did a much better job than I was expecting. Not because I don't expect a lot from Andy Circus, but he sounded different. Like he didn't sound completely like Andy Circus to me. And yeah. he sold to me uh, it, that it was similar to the Emperor being blind to Vader's 
heart changing and the, the yeah. logic in this one was actually more solid the emperor in return of the jedi not being able to sense vader's heart turning uh it makes less sense actually than this one because kylo was able to manipulate it by giving him the uh, emotions that snoke was looking for but mm-hmm. not in the way he thought and so i thought right. ryan johnson dealt with the situation as well as possible so it's just a shout out to andy circus i thought the makeup or mix of special effects look great on snoke as well um we can get back to that so let's go to ray um okay. I made a statement uh, when I first started talking to Brick Girl, who, as I say, you know, is in rel- she's in her early 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, she grew up with the prequels. And here's the thing I wanted to mention, man, is, and I've, I've thought about this a lot, and what I'm about to say I strongly believe in, so I'm going to try and parse my words here. I don't like the prequels. I've never liked the prequels. I personally think the many things wrong with the prequels are different than the mainstream things. That, like, Jar Jar Brinks sucks, but there's like a bunch of more important things that are wrong with the prequels above Jar Jar sure. Brinks, for example. Um, like the Trade Federation and bad romantic chemistry, etc. Um, however, it is undeniable that the new crop of podcasters and YouTubers and writers and so forth that I follow are very much from the late teens, early 20s, who grew up on the prequels. Yes. George Lucas has always said he's created these movies for 6 to 12-year-olds. You can... Yes. Whatever you want to say about that. And I'm he not was. saying it should have worked. I'm not saying it, he deserved to have worked based on the quality of the prequels, but it worked. And not only did it work in getting a new generation of Star Wars fans, but most of them, or, or, or the more articulate ones, are able to compartmentalize where they can acknowledge at least some of what sucked in the prequels, but they're not right. going to apologize about seeing Attack of the Clones when they were four and loving it, right? And right. so. And they shouldn't have to. Yeah. So I just think that's an interesting observation. Um, I also, just to tie back that loop, and then we'll go into Ray, what else I keep getting to the Lucasfilm story group is they troll fans, but they also really listen to fans. Yeah. And Ryan Johnson was working his ass off for three and a half years to give a movie that would surprise fans because they have so many theories and they think about this so much. It's such an impossible task. Um, and, and they do really want to give fans a new experience. And by the way, Marvel and DC, what are two of the main problems? A, everything's every starting to feel like the same. Other. Yeah. And B, villain problems. Well, yes. Look at Star Wars, guys. <laughs> the movies feel different, and they got an amazing villain. So, it, I Just don't know. Just not Snoke. Yeah. Well, you know, no, the, I, the actual villain, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree with all of that. Um, I I understand that the prequels are very are the, the Star Wars movies for, you know, kids who grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s, and I don't really think there's anything wrong with that. Um but I think they also represented what Lucas realized, which is for Star Wars to survive, they need to be finding new characters. You know, even if young Anakin is not Vader, he doesn't become Vader until the last 30 seconds of the third movie. Up until then, all those characters, most of them anyway, are new characters. Mm-hmm. You know, Anakin Hayden Christensen is a new character. Padme Amidala is a new character. Jar Jar Binks is a new character. Whether they're good or not, well-acted or not, well-written or not, 
I would probably say not for all of them, but that's just me. They're new people, and mm-hmm. they created new characters to attract a new generation. And the same thing is going on now. You can't keep this franchise going if you're focusing still on the originals. Harrison Ford is really old. Carrie Fisher, God rest her, has died. Mark Hamill is old. You can't keep making movies with starring them and think that new young generations are going to like it. So they created a bunch of new characters, and I think we would all do very well to just kind of accept that. Um, I would also say that this movie makes that point in two very clear places, and neither of them, I think, are meant to be mean to fans who love the originals. The first one is when Kylo is telling Rey, let the past die, move on, move forward. And he's not being mean about it. He's not being vicious. He is actually Although he does neg her, where he's like, you're worthless, no one likes you, except for me. (laughs) Yes, but he also says, you mean something to me, it's as close to tenderness as we've ever seen from that character. It is at him, oh, yeah. it is him at his single most sympathetic moment is trying to convince her of the problem of relying on the past. I and mean, then he, the other scene... Well, I'm sorry. I just got to comment on that because there's been a lot of interpretation by men and women. I don't think he's consciously gaslighting or negging or whatever you call it. He, I, th- I don't he, think he is. He thinks he's being sweet, but the reality is... He's being pretty mean to her before what he the nice thing he says, but then immediately it's about him join me, be my queen, yes. basically. Which, by the way, Anakin gives this exact speech to Padme, and the thing I, I you know I don't want to talk too much about the prequels, Matt, but I, the reason pa- the the chubby Latino guy Pablo Hidalgo gets paid so much money is because his one of his primary jobs is trying to explain the ridiculousness of the prequels, which is canon without insulting George Lucas and without insulting the people who like the prequels, but also understanding the people who don't like the prequels. And so they'll do like these goofy Jar Jar short stories, like which are kind of making fun of Jar Jar, but they like take him as seriously as possible. And I don't really care either way, but that poor guy had sleepless nights with everything with the prequels trying to justify how it fits into this new universe. But I I can tell you definitively that Ryan Johnson took some pretty key shots of um not key shots he took a couple really cool shots uh or or sort of theme uh, uh aesthetic themes from it uh especially revenge of the sith in this movie and it's undeniable in my opinion man i know i'm jumping from ray to kylo but let's be honest we can't really separate them kylo is the anakin that we should have gotten from the beginning i mean he is that guy right i mean yes he makes emo interesting as opposed to emo being so obnoxious and unbearable. No, for sure. Um, you know, and he is, he actually manages to be sympathetic instead of just whiny. He is mean to her, but he also really does think in his own mind that getting her to admit out loud what she's always probably known that she's not special, she is not the gifted future messiah whatever that has been the narrative of star wars for every movie up until basically rogue one um you know getting her to admit that is the way for her to move forward which is what he thinks she needs to do um to finish uh my point the other scene that i think speaks to the same theme is the luke yoda one which i had no idea that was coming yeah i 
I don't flip my shit. That's not really an expression I, I think applies to me, but I got a big kick out of that, especially when I found out it actually was a puppet and not CGI Yoda. I thought that was spectacular. Mm. I loved when Yoda asks Luke if he's read the books and he he's like, well, I and he sounds exactly like how Luke sounded being exasperated by Yoda 30 years ago Dude, when he first meets him in Empire Strikes Back. Isn't I mean, it crazy that there are moments like when he sees R2 and he starts smiling and he's R2 yeah. he sounds just like the boy from Tatooine. Yep. And by the I way, mean, we'll get to Luke. Cause yeah, Luke really. Well, just really quickly, though, while you said that. The Yoda scene and the R2 scene where he shows the Leia hologram to turn Luke's heart yep. sh- shows that Ryan Johnson, and again, he has the benefit of hindsight, Ryan Johnson did a better job of working in nostalgia in organic ways than The Force oh, yeah. Awakens. Yeah, one movie critic whose review I said I uh, watched after said, "Yeah, having a Yoda puppet—that's how you do fan service." Um, but what does Yoda tell Luke? He says, "You pass on what you know so that the next generation will be better than you. You pass on your successes, but also your failures, because failure can be a strong lesson." You know, it's another message spoken with great gentleness mm. to the older fan ba- Star Wars fan base, saying, "Okay." You have your thing, but the only way you're going to actually enjoy any of this or or even your own memories of this is to move forward from it. Um, I believe his line was... I believe his line was, um, our our students, our Padawans, are what they become when they move past us, and that is the true burden of a master. And by the way, (laughs) if you just switch parents and children into that sentence it's exactly that right and i saw it with my mom and dad and they both that was exactly the interpretation they had of it they enjoyed that they really found that to be a meaningful couple of lines in this movie and my mom isn't even a particularly big star wars fan and my dad hasn't been in a while but that scene and that specific metaphor of the student surpasses the parent and that's what defines the parent in the end, that really struck them. That really had, had an impact on them. So you know when Yoda says, uh, don't worry about the books, that girl's got everything she needs? Yeah. She's got the books. Hastroners, they were not. She's got the books, by the way. They're in the Falcon. Yeah, I know. That, that's, a, that's cute. I like that. Um, well, and it's smart. It's something Ray would do. The scavenger from Jakku, right? She's going, fuck sure. this. I don't trust Absolutely. this guy. And she was right to take him. I thought that was cool. So let's go back to Ray. So we knew for sure that Luke was going to be weird off his rocker. It was cool to see his routines, you know, swinging all over the place, catching fish, doing all the thing, milking the thing. You know, I, I just love seeing crazy the, Luke. The riven monster, like yeah. the weird whale octopus. That was gross, by the way. Like I that I hope that's not the the blue milk he was drinking on Tatooine because that stuff looked very unhygienic. It was definitely trolling fans. It's not blue milk, uh, but, but I do like that they do occasionally make us uncomfortable and show Luke being almost animalistic. Um, yeah. Uh, but and I love that. And we just kind of knew that Ray was going to be following him around, and maybe she'd get some lessons, and maybe she'd discover things. But I just thought the rhythm of the whole thing worked. Yes. Um, what were some of the highlights for you uh, with Ray um, uh, on the island? It could be with Luke, without Luke, w- w- with Kylo, by herself. What, some things that really stand out to you. 
Well, the the dark side pit, you know, another throwback to Empire in the in the training sequence there where he goes into the forest. We knew this was coming. We right. knew there was going to be a forest tree. But the dark forest side, that place is, or whatever they say in Empire. But it's, again, it's kind of a feint, you know, that it's not Luke fighting himself and blowing, breaking up his own head and seeing Vader's helmet, a kind of, to quote the family guy, uh, it's spoof of Empire. It's kind of confusing, and it stops the movie dead in its tracks. Um, This, where all she sees is a mirror to herself, to me, that was very powerful. Um, And it wasn't the call to the dark side, but there was something about that of her seeing herself and with all of them snapping in line. uh, You know, the idea of feeling alone in this place. There was something about that that I really enjoyed i thought it was very clever visually and very different visually mm-hmm. um and again i thematically i thought it worked so ryan johnson uh gave a really interesting interview the other day a super spoiler interview that they warned <laughs> uh, right where they asked him about ray's parents and he said look he said it's not that i didn't care about who her parents were i wanted just the best narrative and character arc possible and it just felt like the thing that would make her the most uncomfortable and have the biggest existential crisis was A, getting confirmation, and B, that they were not who she thought or wanted, but maybe deep down thought. Now, he did say, it's JJ's movie now, and I'm not going to tell him that maybe there's not more there. Like, she's definitely not a Skywalker. Maybe there's something else. I don't think they're going to do that at all. But the point being, it's interesting there's this conversation between the directors where JJ set up some stuff that Ryan had to deal with. Right. Ryan setting up some stuff that JJ's going to have to interpret. But he was and like... And Abrams did executive yeah. produce this movie. So it's not yeah. like he had no idea what was happening in it or no control over it, you know? Yeah. But but, um, but I just the, the, you know and this is why I I love these current Star Wars movies is they're thinking first with character development and narrative and so logical consistencies I'm more willing to forgive in movies like this because I know that they're not trying to shock us purely for plot reasons even the Snoke murder you could see coming but mm-hmm. it was the build up to it. And more importantly, what happened after that amazing fight, that that was what was ultimately cool. And this is what I mean about spoilers, is that broad strokes, there wasn't a ton in this movie that shocked me. There was little things for sure. Um, And there was a bunch of stuff that I thought wouldn't happen that happened that were even cooler than I thought. Right. But the execution was many notches higher than I was expecting. Yes, and I think all of those little things you're talking about together, when you think, when you step back and think about all of them all at once, you realize how much of a departure in a lot of ways this movie was, and that I think makes it more impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would also say is the the I hope Disney Keat holds its nerve and doesn't have JJ do like a. It turns out Kylo was lying to you, and your parents are actually magic They're or not whatever. Going to. But. Ray's parents being nobodies speaks to this theme of democratization of the force. The the new Messiah is not going to be conceived by the force like Anakin was, uh, whatever, and he's not Which, the, by the son way, of the kid. That's the main, the main justification for the prequels that I can give is if you look how much bullshit, in just terms of uh, canon, if you look how much bullshit the Jedi were involved with and how horrible they were, 
everything they could have been talking about was lies that they were buying into, right? So that's that's my headcanon for the prequels, was that midichlorians and all that stuff was just nonsense that they invented because they're an old bureaucratic bullshit, you know. As Luke says, sure. by the way, by the way, when Luke's describing to Rey about the fall of the Skywalkers, he literally sums up all of the prequels in like two sentences. It's brilliant. Where he talks about Darth Sidious and then created Darth Vader. And then right. she says, well, but you be able to stop Darth Vader. Yeah. Um, was- no, but you're right. And he indicts the entire narrative of the Force up until then where he's, you know, he says, I thought Ben, who had that great, strong Skywalker blood, could be the next great jedi master and look what i created because of it he says this entire mentality of the force is really problematic because it turns people into monsters um you know and ray is not that and when ray is tempted not by the dark side of the force but by the offer of just xing all of it out it's because she does recognize that the Jedi are complicit to some extent in the downfall of this universe, mm-hmm. you know, in to the state of constant decay it was in until this movie. Yeah. And this movie is interesting because this is the first time the Star Wars universe doesn't look like it's just getting older and older and older. You know, that everything is shiny in the prequels, then it's starting to break in the originals, and then in Force Awakens, you literally have a planet of dead ships. So it is on the brink of death. But here you have new ships, you have bombers that we've never seen, you have dreadnoughts, which we've never seen, and suddenly it feels like this universe is starting to take a breath and move forward again. Um, and I really like that. Uh, Will you, know. you indulge but me for... A, no, go ahead. Sure. But she's the messiah that comes from nobody, much like David <laughs> yeah, who, that really the Bible, is and Jesus, <laughs> whose parents are nobodies. You know. But she represents the democratization of the Force. The new... Savior is just a nobody who decides she's going to be the new savior. So really quick lore. I'll try and keep this to two minutes, but it's interesting because it's Jack who. So the emperor's grand plan was that he saw that he was going to die prematurely. He also saw that the empire that he helped create, obviously was, was corrupt and most of the people sucked. Right. So he had a plan in place for when he died for hand-selected officers who he did trust to essentially kill off the rebellion and the shitty parts of the empire, killing off his mm-hmm. own empire, which was going to this is it was going to culminate in Jakku, which is actually a giant Sith virgins like it's like one of the most Sithiest places in the galaxy, even though they've really talked about in the movies. Mm-hmm. And what? And huh. the reason there's a graveyard there was because uh, there was about five years of fighting led by Leia and Han and, and so forth against the Empire after Return of the Jedi. And the final battle was going to be in Jakku, and it was supposed to be the final you know, rebellion taking down the Empire. But Palpatine's people were actually had loaded up, I'm not making this up, had loaded up the core of the planet with all of the Sith and Jedi artifacts they could find. And one of them was going to sacrifice themselves and blow up the planet, destroying the majority of both the Empire and Rebellion fleets. And the few handpicked Palpatine people who were left were going to go to the outer rims or beyond and rebuild, which essentially is where the First Order came from. The problem is 
that person was thwarted. And so the first order we got is much more incompetent than what Palpatine was envisioning. And that sort of explains why they're not superior to the empire. And a question for later will be what is it uh, now that the inmates are running the asylum with Hux and uh, the new Supreme leader, what that's going to look like with it. Um, But anyways, it's another one of those, like you put Ray on Jakku and you also put Luke Skywalker on Anakin's home planet tattoo but whatever you know it's right. just, it's just one of those things but the point being it's the, another way yeah. in which the force awakens is way too similar to the original star wars than people or people want to admit because it's another hero who starts on a as a scavenger on a desert planet okay so i'm gonna ask you some specific ray questions okay because even if we only talk substantively about ray kylo and luke i'll feel thrilled about this podcast um Ray is different from Luke in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's hard to know because when we were kids, we put ourselves in Luke's shoes. But even, right. you know, but even though Ray has been described as we've talked about as hyper capable or whatever, she does feel a little bit more normal and dimensional than Luke did, at least in A New Hope. Right? Did you well, feel in this movie like you were seeing through her eyes? Or was there enough sort of obscurement there that you were removed the way Luke... Like, let me put it this way. Were you, as crazy as Luke was, and as crazy as Kylo is, like, of the three of them, whose eyes were you sort of experiencing things from, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, I do understand what you're saying. I actually still think the original Star Wars movies are Luke's story, and you are experiencing Star Wars mostly, other than, like, the Cloud Bespin stuff through his eyes i actually think maybe you're watching the the new movies through kylo ren's eyes i i still think the story is maybe happening to ray more than you're seeing it through her um uh, it's getting better but i still think maybe kylo ren is actually the main character in this story um even as ray is coming into her power as she is being more and more situated as the you know the new Jedi leader who is going to find all of these slave kids who suddenly you know these random people who suddenly have Jedi power and maybe start to help them realize what their own potential. I still think this is maybe being seen. You know, if these are all stories of the Skywalker family, well, Kylo Ren is the last living Skywalker that we know of. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, okay, Leia is still alive, but that doesn't count. Um, and we are seeing, I think, this play out through his perspective. I really do believe that. In Star Wars, you know, I mean, it's almost a cliche at this point that it's it's all about redemption and not good, just good guys and bad guys. Right. Um, one of the brilliant things, I think, and you can tell me if you had a different expectation interpretation, but one thing I think Ryan Johnson did very well is the following. I fully expected that Ray and Kylo for some part of this movie would team up, even if just for convenience. And that's sort of what happened, right? Although it was a little deeper than that. But I thought it was going to go the opposite way. I thought we were going to start out hating Kylo and learning to like him or sympathize with him more throughout the movie, but they immediately make him pathetic in the pathos sense right from the beginning he's clearly torn up he he, he, you know he's not even close to killing his mom in hindsight he almost like i I mean 
it, there was a look in his eyes when the other Thai f- fighters blew up his mom that he was just going to fly away almost. He, it seemed like he was, you know, to me, mm-hmm. uh, or at least considering it, like, fuck Hux, like, fuck Snoke, like, Jesus Christ, right. what am I doing? And then to make him a creepy mind, I've been using the word mind rapist, I should ease up on the rape word, uh, mind uh disturber but because it wasn't him initiating it in this right it, it created a whole new angle by the way i thought the shirtless scene was so funny i don't know if i'm the only <laughs> one i thought that was clearly to break the tension and by the way did you hear what ray said to him no i didn't you think she's gonna say put on a shirt she goes could you just like put on a cowl or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i don't care about your hot bod like cover your face um right. It was way less creepy. And in part because he wasn't the one doing that. Snoke did that. And he is as confused as Ray is about why this is happening. What was your, um, when that first started happening, and it's still not totally clear, like why he got wet from her, uh, because Luke was not proje- yeah. projecting. Well, he, Luke was on a totally different level. But. Right. From the beginning or at any part during their conversations, which, by the way, never felt forced, both in terms of when they happened and what they talked about, in my view. Did you, do you have a different view on that? Like, were there any where it was like, eh, this is excessive or, you know? Um, no, I thought it was really cool. I thought yeah. it was, you know, the idea for that, I think, does pre-exist in how we've seen the Force used, you know, Leia can see can sense luke over short distances uh you know luke can sense vader and vice versa over short distances the palpatine can sense vader and luke over short distances and if really the whole point of the force is if you achieve true balance there is no functional limit to what you can do with it then why can't they talk to each other over vast distances you know that's the whole point of yoda's speech to luke when he's training him on dagobah is you know Luke is trying to lift a rock and Yoda's like no just lift up that starship and he's like no that's like 50 times heavier and Yoda says there's no difference if you master the force they're the same thing um miss so I have I- young skywalker <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh also okay couple force things that happened Yoda as a force ghost was able to manipulate nature very cool sure um but leading back to to the Kylo Ray thing when those when that was happening, were you thinking like I was? I wasn't thinking too metaphysically. I'm going okay. I, I can accept this as a force thing. I don't know why it's happening. I don't think we're really going to get an explanation. And so when we got one from Snoke, I was actually I thought it was cool um, sure. that they had it thought. Made sense. But were you? But I'm saying, were you thinking that there was something more going on, or was this just like, eh, it's magic, it's Star Wars? Well, at the time, I was still leaning into the uh, the belief that they are linked that they are going to wind up being brother and sister or cousin or whatever because remember every star wars movie up until now or at least all of the the first seven are about these family ties and genetics and bloodlines and all this stuff so if they're genetically linked just like luke can sense his father and leia can sense her brother maybe that's how they're able to talk to each other and so that made the realization that her family she's nobody she has no genetic link to any of what's gone on before even more powerful you know because really 
I thought these these forced conversations they were having were further leaning into that direction. I thought, okay, they're going to go the direction they always go. And then it turns out to be a feint, and Ryan Johnson never intended that. And again, little difference that with all the other little differences makes a huge difference. I agree that JJ for a while was playing with those relations. I do believe, however, by the time they really started putting it together, that he was open to to whatever. Like, J.J. passed the buck to Ryan in a positive way, I think. We'll see when the full story comes Well, I think J.J. Out. ran out of real estate. There was a lot he had to do with his movie. He had a lot of pressure. Including some very cynical stuff like get people to want to watch Star Wars again because... Yeah, but look, I mean, the very idea that people are pissed that Ray's not a Skywalker shows the pressure J.J. was dealing with in trying to make this complex character. And by the way, Ryan has been very open him. from the beginning that... He thinks it's more important as a director and writer to provide an interesting journey for Ray about her family more than us being satisfied with who she's related to. In the long run, I think everyone will thank him for that journey. Just like you talked about, you could say it was super anticlimactic in the hole with the snaps and the mirrors, even though it was amazing. But, I didn't think it was anticlimactic at all. I thought it was powerful. Well, I know, but I'm saying you and me were on board with this. You but know? other people were pissed off, yeah. Yeah, or just confused. Right. But I don't think it was meant as a giant reveal that she is nobody. Because what what is, for me, one of the most powerful parts of Force Awakens, even though it's weird, is when she's in Maz's palace and she gets the lightsaber and she has all the crazy flashbacks, some of which we revisit here. And you hear Kenobi and you hear Luke and you hear Yoda and right. you hear everybody. And she sees Kylo Ren in the Knights of Ren, which, by the way, very slick job by Ryan Johnson to be like, Kylo left with a few apprentices and then killed the other ones. Like, yep, okay. We know there's at least some Kylo followers out there potentially for the third one because people were confused. Like, Ren isn't his name. Like, it was Knights of Ren. Where the fuck are the Knights of Ren? But yep. Maz, you know, when Maz takes her hand and is trying to impart the Force uh, to... Um, by the way, someone pointed out that the brief Maz appearance was both hilarious and a total waste of Maz, but whatever. Um both of those things, I think, are true. Yeah, I, yeah. I, this is a case where I think it was both good and bad, and it's just that's just what it is. Um, but uh, I love that she implies she's had sex with half the galaxy, though. I think that's great. <laughs> um, but uh, also, did you catch the Carrie Fisher line that I, that I know for sure she wrote, where she tells uh, Poe to get his his uh, his face out of his his ass out of his cockpit or his face out of his cockpit or something like that? Yeah, something um, like that. that was- yeah. Um, I don't think most people got that. Um, But uh, in Maz is trying to impart, she says, the people you were looking, waiting for, Ray, they're not coming back. You know it. And the weakest part of The Forest Awakens is that leads to Ray running into the forest crying, which makes zero sense. But the speech before it with Maz leading up to it, I think maybe have been added late by JJ, but when I heard that, I was very ready for Ray to be a nobody. Plus, I wanted her to be a nobody. At the time, I was still thinking, especially because even as I was watching it, I was seeing the ways that, okay, this is trying to remind everybody of how good the original three Star Wars movies are, that I was just sort of expecting them to do the same thing they've always done, which is continue this genetic line of jedi stuff that's been the core of the story up until then so 
when that scene in Force Awakens happened, I was not thinking they were nobodies. I, you know, this idea of her being stashed on a planet and hidden, which is what Padme does with the, you know, Luke, because she knows Luke is going to be important later. I thought this was all flashing back to that, that this was another famous person, either a famous Jedi or a, or a Lord, some kind of, you know, royal person stashing a daughter who was in danger or had a prophecy or whatever about her mm-hmm. on a planet to be hidden mm-hmm. instead of just, you know, two people who sold her into slavery for food rations. Can I do another quick, like 90 second sidebar here? Yep. Um, so a couple uh, years after Revenge of the Sith, um, which, by the way, if you look back, critic reviews were actually not horrible. Um, made these some of that movies. was in the context of the previous two were yeah. so bad. So, I mean, Attack of Clones is, I think, the worst. But whatever, the first. I, two I think terrible, most people would, would agree. Um, however, Lucas decided to do the our animated series, The Clone Wars, and while The Clone Wars right. was very painful, Did it to twice watch, actually. Yeah, well, right. So the full the, the full on series, which went on for five the CGI six years, one. yeah, um, cinematically looks awesome. Introduced some super cool characters like Ahsoka Tano, but what it did mostly was re envision in subtle and not so subtle ways characters like Padme and Anakin that made them way more three dimensional and way more likable. Right, and I did a whole podcast a little while ago about how by the Clone Wars reframing the things that were so problematic about the main characters in the prequels, even though it was in cartoon form, that you know it was already shifting towards okay, maybe we can make this work, and it's not a total disaster. Like the Anakin is actually pretty cool in the Clone Wars, and Padme has way more agency, not just fighting, but she's you know actually doing politics and going around the galaxy and stuff. And dude, I'm telling you, you, these young women love Padme. I'm not saying they should or shouldn't, but Padme has a cult following. So, you know, it's, it's, there's a generational thing going on. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, I think they're definitely working in the few things that were interesting or cool that happened or that they, they need to discuss. So uh, let's start with my first hypothetical here. And then I want to go to Kylo. Mm -hmm. Um, because as amazing as Mark Hamill's performance was, and it was spectacular. It was great. I was, dis- I was a little disappointed as I walked out, but the more I've thought about it, the more I've liked it. Yeah. Um, I think that's everyone's reaction. The more you think about it, and for the nerds, the more you see it. But even seeing it once, the more you think about it, it's the perfect way to go. Yeah. Um, and see just- you around, kid. Oh, yeah. That might have been my single favorite line from that whole thing. It's just where he winks and he, you know, right before he fades away. I thought that was spectacular. Well, and it wasn't so subtle that his whole mission in this was to get his head out of his ass and become Obi-Wan for Rey, basically. Right. But what's great is when Obi-Wan in New Hope says, if you strike me down, I'll become even more powerful than you can imagine. That's just because he becomes Luke's advisor for the next two movies, right? Right. But this has much more sinister but also hilarious overtones where where Luke is basically saying, please strike me down and I will torment you for the rest of your life. Please. Like, you know, like. But he's also speaking to the same theme of if you kill me, you will be haunted by me 
just like you were haunted by killing your father you know and your grandfather if you kill me you will do the thing that you want the least to do which is keep the past alive you know the mm-hmm. the idea that by killing by Annie, I'm sorry by Kylo Ren by Ben killing Luke he will fail at the one thing he really wants which is to finally move on from the guilt and the shame of the legacy of these ancestors of his that are so much greater and superior than how he thinks of himself. Mm. Um, you know, he's not threatening Kylo. He is psychoanalyzing him. Can I ask you a force question in relation to a Ray character question? Which sure. is, um, so the main thing that humanizes Anakin in the Clone Wars, and it's indisputable because this character has become the most popular by far non-movie character ever uh which is ahsoka tano which is his padawan we learned during the clone wars which Mm -hmm. by the way if they had made the clone wars movies about the clone wars would already have been an improvement whatever they do it in the the car with like orange skin and kind of like yeah like longer tentacly hair she's a uh distant relative of the twi'lex she's got those long head things they're called togrusas or something like that and she's a 14-year-old girl who's, like, even more super hyper-capable. She was the first female Jedi main character we had ever seen. She started off as very snippy and annoying. They turned her character around. She became a huge fan favorite among men, women, boys, girls, old, young. Uh, and they ended up building the series around her, actually. And Obi-Wan and Anakin took more of a back seat. And even though... She, and, but her relationship yeah, with true. Anakin... Uh, really informs his character because the series ends with a murder investigation where she's accused again stupidly she's a perfect record even though she's reckless occasionally they accuse her of a murder that's clearly not her and even though they ultimately exonerate her she turns her back on the jedi order voluntarily and on anakin and that's what really starts setting him off after he had like made strides and stuff like that. And she's came come back through the literature and is in Star Wars Rebels as an older version where she's essentially a great Jedi working for the light side. And she's got these two white lightsabers. Did you notice how both Kylo and Rey did some fighting with the lightsabers backwards? Um like where they were holding. I didn't notice. Yeah, so they're doing that more in Star Wars now because it's a very defensive thing where you actually hold the lightsabers backwards because you can strike. Oh, yes, and block. I know what you're saying. So that the if you were to hold your arm out, the hilt would be the thing that's the most forward yeah. facing. And since Ahsoka is tiny, even in her older right. version, she has two, and they're white, bright white lightsabers called Shoto lightsabers that she built herself right. after she killed a Sith and rebuilt the uh, thing into two things. And uh, she's a super that's closer def- to like knife fighting than classical yeah. fencing. I think yes. that's where that that reverse grip comes from. Yeah, because you kind of you swipe out right, and you just bring the forearm across, and that's how you get the blow in. Yeah, absolutely. She's so fast. She's so small, and she's so yeah. quick. It's that it's like long daggers almost. And mm-hmm. she fights with the two of them or whatever. But anyways, she's she's really fleshed out this whole 
the Jedi Order, like she was one of the first to realize, even before the Order 66 nonsense, how bullshit the Jedi Council and, and religion was, and went off on her own, and she ended up becoming a secret agent for Leia's dad for a long time, and that's how she gets involved back in the Rebellion. Um, it's also exploring the Force and stuff like that. And so they've been seeding this in the shows and other places, this whole, they never use the word Grey Jedi in the movie, I don't think. But my question to you is, <clears throat> A, do you think, and, and or B, would you like Ray to be more of the Ahsoka model that I described to you of like, okay, I'm for the light side, I am calling myself a Jedi, but I will fight with passion, I can even have love and not follow the old strictures, basically not be a carbon copy of Luke Skywalker, or do you think she's just going to be a carbon copy of Luke Skywalker. Well, actually, if you recall the Force Awakens podcast we did together, I actually said I just don't see this story ending with her for- fa- founding an academy and training a bunch of Jedi on one planet. I think she's always going to be someone who's going to want to be out exploring on the forefront of the action. Yep. So, Again, I've never seen Clone Wars, or I think I watched the original cartoon, the not CGI one, but I don't remember Ahsoka Tano at all. But no, I don't want to see her become the next Luke Skywalker from Return of the Jedi, because a lot of people have said this. Luke in Return of the Jedi is very boring for large stretches of that. Like, peaceful Zen Luke, I don't find actually as interesting to watch as whiny upstart over eager luke you know I, I think the finished product is not as watchable and the, well, until the, the finale though the, the right and then the, Vader and, stuff. and then the finale saves a lot of it but you know the the watch the the ringer podcast made this joke that it's a weird thing with jedi that as they get older they become more boring that you know qui-gon jinn is kind of boring and you get the sense he was a lot more interesting when he was younger that as cool as old Obi-Wan is, he, he seems to be a little bit more like multidimensional when he is Ewan McGregor, uh, even as the writing is like way shittier. And because of that, the performance is not as good, but as you become a Jedi master, you seem to become very, very bland. So no, I don't want to see Ray become that. I want to see her stay, the adventurer well i agree with you but we should also acknowledge an empire strikes back obi-wan basically has to admit that he's lied numerous times to luke especially yes. about his dad and and luke, alec guinness is an incredible actor and so actor. he sells a ton of this but if you look at it the the big pieces of advice that yoda and obi-wan give to luke in five and six in which he ignores Luke is right in almost every circumstance of not everyone. I think that's very interesting. And I liked some people thought Yoda was too over the top. I liked that Yoda was like manic and laughing and stuff because I think sure. that was the old mischievous Yoda that we wanted back where it's not the whole world on his shoulders because, and he admits by the way, in this movie, which I love how much they fucked up. I mean, he doesn't dwell on it, but he's like, yep, we got to let it go. But yeah. we still have Ray. We can't, we, you know, we, you lost Ben, but we, but we can't lose Ray. And so I guess what I'm saying is, do you think that you're going to Ray just innately, not like forming a new philosophical select, but just Ray innately in terms of her training and maybe she trains up a couple other people, it will be an evolution of the cool 
subtleties that we saw in this movie? Like, is that even a priority? Or do you think it'll just be Ray being Ray? Because that's the thing. Ray's the only one that seems to be able to get really angry during fights and then just calm down immediately afterwards. Yeah. Um, because again, this movie is about changing the key emotion of the force from anger and fear to shame and guilt. I think honestly, what in my perfect worldview or in my perfect future, Ray represents a complete redefinition of the terms of what it is to be someone who can wield the force. Jedi, Sith, red lightsaber, green lightsaber, black, white, gray, dark, light. All of it goes out the window and we reach a state where everything is much more fluidic and in the moment. And you can have moments of weakness that you don't have to tie yourself to to the point that they drive you to commit genocide. You know, what's interesting is that Kylo Ren throws off the past, but he still wants to be an asshole running around killing everybody. And I don't know is that, that what he wants, Kylo though? Ren... Is that, what? Is, is that what he wants, or is that what he keeps defaulting to because he doesn't get what he wants? Maybe it's what he keeps defaulting to. Um, so maybe, you know, right, they've done the a question. lot with his character already. Maybe they can find a new thing for him in the third one. But it could also not end with him being redeemed, and that would be okay, you know? Yeah, I think it's... I don't think he can... Um, I think no, he'll this be doesn't tempted, have to but... literally be the same arc as Vader. I like well, no, that. That's why they version, did in this movie. They did in this right. movie, so they don't have to do the next one. Right. You know, he kills his master just like Vader does, but that's not enough to turn him good. He is still driven by a lot of the same psychological hangups that he has. He just doesn't feel tied to the past in the same way which is actually in some ways even scarier because mm-hmm. he's just as vicious and he still wants to kill everybody, but now he doesn't think there's any reason not to do it or any reason to temper it or, or anything. It's just whatever you feel like, go ahead, burn it all down. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, here's a big question with, with, with Ray Lau, as we say. So first of all, it's all right. been way overstated about the number of people, especially women, who wanted them to get together. A lot of the female podcasters I talked to said, look, as women, we see subtlety to this relationship. We don't want them to get together, but we want them to have a complex relationship. And in that, I think Ryan Johnson succeeded. Oh, a hundred percent. I don't think there's any romance between them. Here's the question. Not with from Ray's side. I think he is in love with her. It might be twisted. Maybe smitten is a better word. But that look in his eye where he goes, because he, he says, come with me, come with me. And then very desperately, he goes, please. Le- like, but is she that, is again, selfish? Sorry. Yeah. I kind of would like to think that Kylo Ren has had such little experience with positive emotion in his life. He honestly doesn't know how to describe what he feels towards her. And that could be romance. It could be love. It could be comradeship. It could be simply just feeling like maybe one person who doesn't see him, you know, one person could be convinced to not see him as a monster, even though he does everything in his power to make everybody think he is one. I don't want to ship them because so far there's no real like romance between them. But I, I so totally want them to continue interacting with each other and affecting each other on an emotional level. No, absolutely. I just wanted to point out that. What's interesting is, and I monitor this social media and podcast, is that men 
are the ones who are like, you killed your father, you killed Han Solo, the most, you know, the second most beloved Star Wars character, you're irredeemable, Ray. you should have nothing to, you know, guys are the ones telling Ray what to do and what she should feel. And the right. women in the podcast I listen to who are openly feminists from this country, Australia, and England, and a lot of times they do podcasts together and whatever, they have seen much more complicated vision and disclaimer they all admit they're super attracted to adam driver so that's factoring into the whole thing like chicks sure. think he's hot whatever what are you gonna do he is a good looking dude he's a good looking you saw dude. him with his shirt off he's cut yeah but i the the question is not does ray have strong feelings for him of that sort i i i don't know i thought adam driver did such a good job of selling that maybe he does for her or maybe it's just the anakin twisted vision of you know, Anakin never really loved Padme because it was just about him the whole time kind of thing. I think he clearly feels something. I just don't know that he knows what exactly he's feeling because I think he lacks the emotional com- development and self-awareness to be able to put words to what he's feeling. Because most of the emotions that have driven him have been fear, guilt, shame. You know, there is still anger and rage, obviously, when he, you know tears apart a console with a lightsaber or whatever he clearly is also an extremely angry dude and doesn't really understand how to find an outlet for it Um, the other thing i would say is if they did get together romantically it would be returning to an idea that this movie really wants to get away from because people get together to have kids in the star wars universe that seems you know padme and anakin only fall in love because they are destined to give birth to luke and leia But if they had kids, their kids would unavoidably continue the Skywalker line and they would be Skywalkers and they would continue the same backwards approach to the force and to power and to valor that this movie is very obviously trying to kill. That it, it's not even debatable that yeah. this movie wants you to stop thinking of the Jedi in, and the Force in this way. So mm-hmm. putting them together, I think, is the wrong direction forward. Especially because Disney themselves are openly saying this is the end of the Skywalker saga. So people are just deluding yeah. themselves. And they've even said they could see a scenario where Daisy Ridley or Oscar Isaac could appear in future movies, which lends even more credence to the fact that this is the end of the Skywalker line. Right. And as one podcaster pointed out, you had three generations two of which were horrible in Anakin and Ben, and one of which was almost lost in Luke. But because of what Luke does at the end of the movie, and I want to end on that in terms of our our movie talk in a sec, but because of what Luke does on the end, inspiring the rebellion and inspiring the galaxy to, to get things going again, is it worth it? Is, is it worth two horrible, 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 you know, dictator and worse to get a luke skywalker i don't know i mean that that's an unanswerable question but i do remember that i don't remember when this review came out but it talked about it was kind of a recontextualization of the final image of last jedi where luke looks up and sees yoda anakin old anakin before they replaced him with hayden christensen and old ben kenobi staring at him waving and they look at peace and whatever and he said there is an interpretation of that scene where you basically are looking at the three people who have brought more death and pain into the galaxy 
than anybody else who's ever lived. And maybe these are three people who ought to all be burning in hell for their sins for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. And I found that to be a very striking recontextualization. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think it is this question of, okay, we got Luke, but a planet literally had to die for Luke to become a Jedi. It's kind of hard for me to think that that sacrifice is worth it. That's a lot of dead people whose names we don't even know. Can I give another quick piece of lore that's cool that I think will inform the coming movie? Sure. So they're talking more and more about these vergences that happen in geographical places. Uh, right. Dagobah happens to be the most or one of the most force-concentrated rich planets. Sure. And Coruscant, uh, the former capital where the Jedi Temple was and then the Emperor, Coruscant, like... 100,000 years ago was the site of like the largest Sith superstructure of all time. And then they were beaten and it was buried. And for political reasons, the Jedi decided to stay there. And then they forgot what was there basically. And so one of the explanations, and this isn't all retconning, why even Yoda couldn't tell what was going on with Palpatine in the prequels was because they were being worked by forces they didn't even know were there. But the cooler part of that is Yoda didn't just go to Dagobah to hide. He needed to rejuvenate himself. Like, mm-hmm. that's why Yoda's different other than, obviously, the prequels coming first. But the idea was Yoda had to go to a place to hide. He could hide in the forest and rejuvenate himself and become himself again. And I think we saw that when Octu and the island, which is super Force-heavy as well. You know, we get right. we get good old Yoda there. Um, all right, dude. Uh, I, I love that we just talked about the big three, to be honest with you. Yeah. So why don't I ask you one or two more, and then we'll, we'll end on uh, a little high horse, and we'll sign out. Sure. Uh, if you want to. We don't even have to. Yeah, do no, that. that's fine. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. haven't talked about Luke very much. Which but, is where uh, I'm going right now. Cool. Go for it. So Mark Hamill said openly... And this is where the anti-social justice warrior, you know, all, we need white superheroes, blah, 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 people honed in on. Luke's, uh, Mark Hamill said when he saw the script, he hated everything about it in terms of yeah. Luke. But if you read the full interview and all the interviews he's given since then, which if you know Mark Hamill, he can't tell a lie. He right. says it was the by far the most transformative, challenging, and awesome acting experience of his life. Sure. And whether we agree with every single choice of Ryan Johnson in the portrayal of Luke, as you've been pointing out as the theme that things needed to change, I don't think we get the amazing conclusion of Luke without putting him through the ringer this entire movie. No, I agree. What's interesting about Mark Hamill also is um, this is a comment that uh, Chris Hardwick had an observation about Mark Hamill in the, one of their nerdist interviews together. Chris Hardwick has said, Oh, I gotta listen me to as, that. I'd love to hear a Hardwick interview him. Go ahead. He said, You strike me as the only actor who was in Star Wars who, if he wasn't in Star, cast in Star Wars, would have gone to a Star Wars convention. And Mark Hamill said, That's exactly right. So Mark Hamill's like approach to his own character is simultaneously the actor feeling ownership of what is still his signature role, his voice work as the, as the Joker notwithstanding. Um, so what f- was for decades his signature role, but also the fan who responded to this material in a way different than somebody like Harrison Ford, who really I don't think ever gave a shit about being Han Solo. Um, 
well, beyond just to be honest. Being we needed that for him to be Han Solo. Right. The 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 doesn't give a fuck attitude is perfect for the character, but he has never seemed particularly pleased that of all you know, when he talks about the roles he loves, Han Solo is not one he talks about a whole lot, and he has said he only would come back for the first new movie if they killed him. Um which they did, which totally I worked. I agree, and that's undeniable that that happened. However, Harrison Ford in Force Awakens is my favorite Harrison Ford role ever, personally. Okay, well, and we that's talked just about be- that at the time. So. That's just, or at least a mature Harrison Ford because of the relationship with the kids. I, I, he really establishes a bond with Daisy Ridley. And one thing that I've pointed out, I don't know if you agree, everyone has all these metaphysical or romantic ideas about Ray and Kylo. Right. But I think the reason they can't stop thinking in, to, about each other and talking to each other is Han Solo. Is that Ray does still in that short time feel like he was a father figure even more than Luke. And I think Ben knows that in even in their short time, Han probably felt more affection towards Ray than he ever did towards Ben, which is part of the problem, right? Um is a theory of mine. Well, I thought one of the moments that really worked in The Force Awakens is when um, Han offers Rey a job, you know, just as his techie, you know, engineer on the Falcon moving forward or whatever. And in that moment, I get the sense that's the first adult who has ever talked to Rey like he actually wants her around, that she has this incredible feeling of loneliness and unwantedness from growing up a you know, a scavenger trying to avoid starving to death on Jakku. And Han Solo is the first person in her whole life who has ever felt like wanting her. And she, of course, also has these abandonment issues from her parents, Mm -hmm. basically sending her the message they don't want her either. So he, she latches onto him really strongly, even though she only knows him for like two days. Um, Okay, quick follow-up to that. And that's why... The act that so pisses her off about Kylo Ren is that he killed Han Solo, you know, and that Han Solo and that Kylo Ren, when he confronts uh, Rey in Force Awakens, says, you seek a father figure in Han Solo, he would disappoint you, you know, and that's what makes her so angry is that Kylo Ren in that moment is seen as, what? But, but here he says, I didn't hate him. So we don't know what Kylo really thinks about Han Solo at this point. I, he doesn't even know. Right. This is all about – this is all Ray's interpretation of the situation. And again, this movie talks a lot about how we each interpret situations differently from other people who are involved in them. And we interpret them differently as we look back at them in our own past as time elapses, you know, the, the Kurosawa-Rashomon effect. So Ray is interpreting this situation one way. Kylo Ren interprets it the other. We don't really know who's right or wrong. Maybe they both are. Okay. One follow-up to that, and then we're going to talk Luke final scene, and we'll wrap up. Okay. What does not happen the entire time Ray is with Han? Let me put it this way. What is not mentioned, obviously mentioned, about Ray in any of the time she's with Han or Luke? Are we? Is this a gender thing? Yeah. Is that what we're going yeah. with? They never talk about it, but yeah. but they're not degenderifying her either. She's clearly no. a woman, and no, she's she's yeah. a good engineer. That's the only thing Han sees when he looks at her. And what I try to explain to people about Wonder Woman uh, is, I don't care if you like the movie or not. 
But I think what got lost on some people was it wasn't that she was a badass that happened to be a woman. It's that being a woman and the qualities of being a woman was what made her so strong. I completely agree with that. And that's what was so revolutionary, at least in the presentation of that character to the audience and why it's being embraced, you know. And I think, you know, I've said that I think Ray. I said this before Wonder Woman came out, but I, I said Ray. I thought was the the was going to go down as the first of the modern female uh, kind of you know like it's not Ripley and Sarah Connor anymore. It's much more subtle, right? About what's going sure. on with these heroes. Um, do you think? Uh, do you, I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a specific question. I mean, do you, do you kind of agree with my my train of thought here about? Yeah, although I I don't think they're the same in because as we pointed out, Wonder Woman kicks ass because she's a woman, and in the context of nineteen of World War One, when in the U.S. women hadn't even gotten the right to vote yet, that's especially powerful. Right. Ray kicks ass and is a woman. I I I don't think it's not the same. I don't know about what histor- history is going to show about the the you know, Ray as the first modern, I don't know about any of that. There's no way to know for 10, 20 years, probably honestly. Well, I think, I think, you know, we do show, don't tell when we can. And I have seen tons of footage of little boys dressed up like Ray. And I think that says it all. And sure. Cause girls have been dressing up as male characters forever. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that's a, that's a really cool thing. But I guess what I'm saying is it's deft. It's not trying to degendify or, you know, desexualize her at all. It's It's just not trying. It's just trying not to focus on it, on on that, on her gender, on her gender identity, you know. And, and, you know, nuts and bolts, writing, acting, casting. I don't know how they landed on Daisy Ridley, but man, did they hit that out of the park. And by the way. Yes. One thing I don't think she's getting credit for in this movie is – she actually had to be a little two-dimensional at parts because Luke was the complicated one. Mm-hmm. She had to be the straight man, if you will. Yeah. But I don't think she lost any of her interest or complexity to me because of that. And she did a great job of not coming across as, as nagging. It, it'd be so easy for those scenes to be the woman nagging the man to get over himself and do what the woman wants. That would be the misogynistic portray you know way to do those scenes but it doesn't come off that way it is her trying to help him without becoming the like this is a a problem a lot with um characters of color in movies that they basically push the white people to do the thing that they need to be doing this scene doesn't fall into that same trap uh which is a testament to her acting and Ryan Johnson's writing and and construction of the scenes. Okay. I have two more questions for you, then we're going to wrap this up, okay? Okay. We haven't talked about it at all. we got to get one on record. The two other main parts, I think we can agree the fleet stuff mostly was pretty good, especially Carrie Fisher. And by the way, people sure. who did not like the particular visual portrayal of her flying to the spaceship, I totally get, but... I was fine I'm with that. So thankful we got one Princess Leia force power before we lost her. Yeah, one podcast I listened to said that was their scene. Even if 
they filmed it not knowing she was going to die. Like that scene felt very much like the goodbye you hero scene. Even if she, her character doesn't die from Ryan Johnson swears that was all done before she died. Dude, I'm telling you, I, um, I I don't want to use this as, as a, uh, as patting myself on the back, but I have been predicting maybe since you were on that Ryan Johnson had said that Carrie Fisher helped write some of the script and he's been very open about it. And now they've been publishing articles about that. She's been writing, especially some of the quirky lines for Leia. This movie was supposed to be Luke's movie, right? And Carrie Fisher was supposed to be the episode nine in terms of the main cast. Ryan Johnson had a sense that the time is now. And while it, this was clearly Luke's movie between the two of them, I think he did her so much justice yes, that even if they write her off off screen, and I think the movie's going to start with a few, it's going to be five years later, and there's going to be a funeral, and you're going to have Poe Dameron. Po Dameron's going to be crying his ass off and giving a speech about Leia and rallying the resistance. And I think I, I didn't think I would be fine with that, but her being the wise old one, keep in mind, she's been doing this since she was 16 and now she's 60 and she's still fighting this bullshit. And it was right. so powerful at the end. This will lead into the Luke question that mm-hmm. even she briefly gave up hope until Luke showed up at the end. So <clears throat> here it comes. Oh, my, no, my, my question was, Clearly, the Canto Bite stuff was the weakest, even though there were cool elements to Finn and Rose's adventure. I don't want to go into it too much. It's just, it's too long. The movie drags too much in the middle, and while I get the the appeal, uh, you know, the idea of the Star Wars 1%, I like that. I, you know, there's a lot of cool ideas, but it just, it's clunky in its execution, and it takes a really long time to get us to the cool part, which is basically from the second um, Kylo Ren cuts Snoke in half to the end of the movie. It's pretty awesome, but it just took a little too long to get there. And I was just starting to feel a little bit tired of the film by that point. Yeah. So we'll table that for another time. Um, I was extremely pleased with everything with the Snoke situation. If they were going to kill him, they did it right. Agreed. Uh, and I thought that it was great that we got an amazing lightsaber battle that wasn't technically a lightsaber battle. And I yeah. thought it was almost Avengery the way they were like throwing lightsabers to each other, right? Like Thor's hammer and stuff sure. like that. Yeah, I, there were some Battle of Chitauri elements to it. Yeah. My dad thought it reminded him of the Matrix, but I think that oh, was There's more... so much Matrix stuff in here, but I'm not going to go there. Yeah, I, I I actually didn't see that as much. I thought maybe he just hasn't seen enough sci-fi movies. But I mean, there was it reminded me more of the uh, like the Neo ma- multiple Smiths fight in the second one than anything from the first one. No, it's it's the third. It's the final. The the scene of Mark Hamill floating and projecting himself across time and space uh, looked exactly uh, no, like no, no, Neo. not that. I'm talking about the escape from Snoke's chamber scene. Oh, That's specifically oh. the scene I'm talking about. But I'm talking um, about the way. Uh, oh yeah the third yeah revel the the final confrontation between kylo ren and luke or hologram luke yeah that's matrix revolutions if it's anything but yeah you're right well the bottom line is i'm sure ryan johnson likes the original matrix and the idea of the force you know bending time and space because let's be honest dude it's mostly bended space up to this point so they're exploring time and space is awesome you know and so 
Um, I, we, we'll have to save influences for another one. So, okay. So, at what point did you realize Luke wasn't Luke, if at, if at all, in the final scene? I didn't. I, I really... Me neither. I honestly thought that he used his super force powers to deflect all of the uh, ATAT and blaster fire. And it wasn't until he the sword goes through him that I realized what was going on. And I actually thought it was a really, really, really clever feint. I kind of wished Luke's last act was not to just be a distraction, but... I thought it was extremely well executed, and it very much caught me by surprise. Can I can I can I uh, sell this real sure. quick? Because <clears throat> I loved it from the beginning, but I know a lot of Star Wars fans were like, "It's really cool," but it also would have been cool to have him there. Um, the first issue is the thing he did is a much higher level of difficulty than the other thing. Uh, so I'm not saying it's better for a movie. But projecting himself to that level across the galaxy and obviously killed him is extremely impressive from a Force perspective. And again, it's an exact mirror of how he wins in Return of the Jedi. He wins by not fighting. And and it's funny because when you watch it, you're like, oh, he's lightsaber battling Kylo Ren. And then you're like, wait a minute. They haven't touched lightsabers. Yeah. Did you notice the samurai stuff that was going on when they were standing off? They spent like a minute like readjusting their stances. Oh, yeah. So uh, really quickly, this will be the last piece of, of lore. You know what it reminded me yeah. of, actually? It reminded me of the Kill Bill scene where yes. uh, yep. um, the bride, uh, you know, Uma Thurman first meets uh, Pai Mei. You know, and Paime doesn't actually take a single shot at her until he like pushes her aside. He just, mm-hmm. you know, he keeps his hands behind his back and he just keeps ducking and weaving because he knows every move she's going to make and she's getting angrier and angrier. So yes, very samurai y yep. with also a lot of Western e stuff into it. You know, the the yep. shot of Luke's back, one man standing down the whole First Empire army that felt like. Guns of the Navarone, like Logan, you know, that felt Western-y to me. Two comparisons. Um, So even though we remember Crouching Tiger as like these really long, complicated, choreographed sword fights, when it comes to later in that movie, they're actually quite short and brutal. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you study or know anything about samurai culture, when you reach a level of expertise... They say the battle is won before anyone sure. swings the sword. And uh, I just want to... the uh, What's considered the greatest Star Wars Rebels <clears throat> episode to date... Hold on. <coughs> is uh, Rebels takes place a couple years before New Hope. It's actually leading directly into Rogue One. Um, right. But uh, we don't see Obi-Wan. And then finally at the end of, of season three... Uh, so... Don't laugh. Let me explain this first. So George Lucas decided with the Clone Wars he wanted to bring back Darth Maul. And, which was stupid they killed Darth Maul in the first place because it's like the one thing people like from the first movie or whatever, or some people like. But they found a stupid way to bring back Darth Maul. But they got a brilliant voice actor, Sam Witwer, and they re-envisioned oh, him. Oh, I know who that is. Yeah, and he, they turned him. Yeah, he's been, yeah, he's a... Uh, he's on Tabletop and yeah. he was Doomsday in Smallville. He also does uh, 
anytime you hear an impression of the emperor, that sounds exactly like the emperor, but it's not as him. Uh, and he's very, he's involved in the story group and stuff. He's just a great guy. Yeah, he's a good actor. He's in, yeah, so he's in that. He was in Battlestar, whatever. Um, so they got a really subtle guy to play a kind of golemy version of of. Uh, of Maul because he was kind of uh, half dead coming back and so his mind never really came back and he becomes obsessed with killing Obi-Wan and uh, at the end of season three Rebels uh, in a a thing that really had way more to do with the overall story than than Rebels itself he finally tracks down Obi-Wan to Tatooine and he's like you're hiding something or you're hiding someone and a look of fear comes over Obi-Wan's face, like, oh my god, this guy's, like, literally 10 miles from Luke Skywalker, like, 10-year-old Luke Skywalker right now. Mm-hmm. And they fight, and Darth Maul is doing the whole Kylo, where he's shifting, and he's moving, and he's trying to be intimidating. And Obi-Wan goes from the Qui-Gon stance from Episode One into the classic Obi-Wan stance, from uh episode four and you think it's going to be a big long battle and it's just boom 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 stops and maul just gets sliced in half that's it i mean he beats <laughs> him in like two seconds and it's so beautiful i i, I i'm not saying they were drawing directly from that because they're all drawing from the samurai thing i thought it was beautiful hmm, sounds cool um so um I'd probably watch just that fight scene on Rebels is one step beyond what I'm willing to watch to engage with Star Wars. I understand a lot of people love it, and I understand it's probably very, very good. It's just, it's one thing too many. Um, the the one season that you could really watch by itself is two, because two is the uh, Ahsoka coming back into the picture after 20 years. She's older. She does not know that Anakin is Vader, but she has suspicions and mm-hmm. she gets more and more suspicions as it goes on, leading to an epic like two or three part episode confrontation between them and a whole bunch of Sith and Jedi at the end of it. Um, it's very dramatic, very cool. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're you're like one or two notches below hardcore Star Wars fan for I think it to be worth it. We'll see how the final season wraps up, but there is cool lore, and so I like sharing it with people who are into the stuff but don't have time or whatever, you know, for the for the right. other stuff. But the point is, they're still building this stuff behind the scene. I mean. Obi-Wan saw Maul slaughter his master, and then they had to have that big, huge fireworks battle between him and Maul that lasted like 10 hours, right? Right. But he phases him 30 years later as an old guy and just slices him up in two seconds. And what's beautiful is he cradles Maul in his hands because Maul's like a tortured golem-y kind of creature as Maul's dying. And Maul looks at Obi-Wan, and Sam Witwer's just like is he the chosen one referring to Luke and Obi-Wan says, yes. And then Maul goes, then he will avenge us and dies. And there's this look at Obi-Wan's face. It's like, dude, you still don't get it. This isn't about (laughs) revenge. I feel, I, I I hate you. I hate you. I'm glad I defeated you, but I feel bad for you ultimately. Cause you like all dark side users, knowledge leads them to insanity. Right. Um, and so, okay. Um, anything else to say about Luke? For the people who are frustrated with what Luke was portrayed as, nice transition. The last buddy. thing I'm going to say with that is, I, I think Luke Skywalker goes through a complete character arc in the first three movies, 
And that's got to be enough. This was a nice postscript to this character, but you know, that's it. If you aren't, if you are unhappy with this, that's fine. Mark Hamill has said, look, Ryan Johnson had his idea for what his Luke Skywalker was going to be. He's not my Luke Skywalker, but that's fine. I understand not wanting to see Luke be a bitter, cranky asshole, but I was happy to see Luke again because I saw everything I needed to see from Luke in his first three movies. And if this is not quite the direction I would have gone with him, that's okay. And I I Mm. would only wish people could recognize that this was a very well-executed other direction to go with this character. And that's for your comments about Zen Luke and, and Return of the Jedi being cool but also uninteresting in some ways. Yeah. Part of the reason I love Return of the Jedi, as you know, is I love the team getting back together. And I do love right. Luke in the black. And it was very intentional that he had black and it wasn't a blue yeah. saber. It was a green saber. And he was flirting with the gray. You know, That's what I'm saying to everyone. I'm like, dude, this gray Jedi thing isn't new. Luke was experiencing it way back then. And that Luke right. wins with his words. And I think the divide is the people who loved Luke in Return of the Jedi because he was slicing up all of Jabba's people and murdering them in like a cool way versus those of us who love Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi specifically for giving up the lightsaber and basically almost dying to to prove his point. I think that's the divide. And does that make sense? It does. And what's interesting is this Luke is neither of those. The final point of Luke is that he has grown past both of those people. He is not the whiny, sometimes violent kid. He is also not the Zen master who thinks he's in control of everything. He's also not the failure who created Kylo Ren. Mm -hmm. He has finally absorbed the totality of his history and his own both strengths and weaknesses, which have not even been the same things throughout his life. And having it finally gotten all of that together and past all of that, he finally achieves Nirvana and just fades and, and literally fades into the sunset. Um, and so that's how, why really I think saw binary or was that a vision? I don't know. Cause we don't, that's we don't see question. two suns the whole time. I don't think yeah, it's a, it's beautiful. Um, and th- does it matter? You know, he has no, come that's the whole point. Or, or whatever it is, you know, he has completed his journey, which is why when he does achieve that set moment of serenity right before he, is, he stops projecting where he just winks at Kylo Ren and says, see you around, kid, oh, so which is a quote that Han Solo says to him for people who don't know, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of perfect. You know, the way he goes out is really, really good. And the more I thought about it, even just talking about it now, the more I've liked it. Just to bring in a quick bizzle uh, anecdote to this, not only does it not matter whether the binary is there or not, but that's the whole point and shows how connected he is to the force. He could very well be, well, you know, they talk about people seeing things in their final moments, but I think it was more than that. My theory is he was projecting himself as a living force ghost. That's what I think was going on, which has never been done before as far as I know, which I think leaves the door open that it's not just going to be grumpy, lovable force ghost Luke in episode nine, uh, nine uh, talking to Ray. but when you combine his new power plus what Yoda was able to do, 
They right. really have a lot of creative space of like, okay, now he's in the forest the way Neo is, is like code is in the Matrix, essentially, right? I think there's sure. some really cool things there. Um, are you the only, the, the only, yeah, so the only thing I have with that is I don't know that Mark Hamill is going to return for the ninth. Yes. They absolutely set up a narrative re- mechanism why it's no, why the it. Yoda ghost impear- appears is to remind people that force ghosts are a thing because we kind of forgot about that. Um, he is, but they, Ryan Johnson's already said it. He said it's he's not going to be a main character at all. But he said. He okay. Said, he Brian Johnson right, well, was like, "Look, I would be lying to you if I this particular thing, because there's no rational reason in terms of the fandom to not have Luke appear for two minutes in the movie. I, but I don't think it'll be huge. But I think it. I, I hope yeah, I'd he like to think so. There's certainly potential there, but I could also see, given Mark Hamill's frustration with the direction his character went, simply not wanting to return. Now, I don't know what kind of contract Disney signed him to. They might have signed him to do movies. No, he's thrilled. Whatever. He was frustrated with the script. Once he got started, he was totally into it. That's what he says. Right. We'll see. I mean, we'll, yeah. we'll find out all of that information over the next two years. Yep. I My last thing with the binary son thing, mm. I think for him, the sense of rejoining the Force is a feeling of finally going home. And for him, home is that image of him on Tatooine staring at the two sons, which is a beautiful shot in the original Star Wars movie. It is really, really good. It captures both the emotional core of Luke of wanting something more, but also the alien nature of these stories. It's a gorgeous shot and a gorgeous callback to it. And for a narrative reason, I think in his mind, Joining the Force means going home, and going home for him is Tatooine, and Tatooine's defining feature is the double sun. Hmm. Um, all right, cool. You, you uh, ready to do a final thought, final, final thought, uh, final, final thought? Why do you do my final thought? You do final, final thought? Sure. So my I, final uh, thought will be quick, which will be to follow up on something you brought up much earlier, which is just to praise Adam Driver's performance. And yeah. all I'm going to say for now sure. is I've thought a lot about this. I, I I can't think of anybody that I know of that I've seen that would be a better Ray than Daisy Ridley. It's not even close. But I cannot imagine anyone else at the moment playing Kylo Ren other than Adam 100%. Driver. Um, so that's all I got. I, I love those yeah. two. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I agree. They, you know, and I liked a lot of, you know, I like that they gave Oscar Isaac a, a, a personality yeah. and some measure of an arc in this. We'll talk you about know. that later because, you know, I love Leia and I love Poe. We'll, we'll have to table that. Sure. Um, my last thought is there are a lot of frustrations people have for a lot of different reasons with this movie. I don't understand them. Even the flaws, I think, in this movie are not worth the rage people seem to have. But I think part of what drives that is that there is a contingency of fans who are not going to be happy with any new Star Wars because as much as they think they love it, they don't actually want more Star Wars. What they want is a static amount of Star Wars that they can consume and then get to say, I have consumed all the Star Wars. And depending on how into the extra stuff, maybe that's just the movies – Maybe that's the movies and the TV shows. Maybe that's the movies, TV shows, books. Maybe that's the movies, TV shows, books, and comics. Whatever it is, they want a static amount that they can watch 
all of and say, I have watched all of the Star Wars. And the problem with new movies is the movies, if you make new Star Wars movies, they're canon. Anything else you can argue is not, but movies are the core no, you of can what argue. is Star- They have a list, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. But To the mainstream culture, that's the only movies, thing that matters. If you start saying Star Wars movies can't be canon, no, then... No, 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 no. I'm saying from from a factual standpoint... Some no, no, the, yeah, I'm not yeah. talking about that. I'm not talking about what Disney and LucasArts has said is canon and isn't. Uh, In a given fan's mind, every fan's mind, there is some stuff that is real Star Wars and yeah. some stuff that we, isn't Star Wars. We call that and, head canon, and that's very important. Yeah. Yes, head canon. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And so, you know, maybe you think all of the TV shows and movies are real, but the comic books and the books are or some of the books are not, or whatever your distinction is. But any list of headcanon has to include the movies. And so when you get new movies, you have to those are automatically canon. Because if Star mm-hmm. Wars movies aren't canon, what the hell is? They these were movies first. They will yeah. always be movies first, I think. Absolutely. Um, and and um But uh, so as usual just, I lie about the final questions. Here's my final final question, which is right. one thing I've I've thought a lot about is that unlike the comic book movies, obvious, this is an obvious point, but I just have to say it with comic book movies, you're taking a written visual medium and then right. putting it into movie form. Right. With star Wars, it all starts from the movies and then the books and the TV shows and everything else come from that. Yes. So if you're looking at the movie perspective, I think Star Wars always has, assuming the quality is there, one step ahead because it comes from a cinematic format, if that makes I, sense. No, I, I, I agree with that completely. You know, and I think what's going on is you know, these people who are not happy with this movie, somewhere in their minds, they just don't want to have to keep absorbing more stuff they just want to be done with it on some level even as much as they might say they want more of it they might but they don't know what they actually want they don't know what star wars would appease them because maybe at their core for a lot of these people they just want a finite amount and i understand that urge because i continue to watch agents of shield and gotham which actually has gotten fairly watchable this season finally and I've said on your podcast, I watch it in part because I'm waiting for them to cancel it so I can say I've seen all of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe I am anywhere close to the only fan of these kind of nerd franchises that feels that way, that wants to, for whatever dumb reason, puts, claim to have consumed all of this thing. And I think at the core of this hatred for these new movies, it's because it's new stuff. It's new stuff they have to consume and they don't want to because they have put in too much time consuming what they've already consumed. Really think that's part of it. You and know, it's I not love, it's possessiveness. Yeah. yeah, and even though Rotten Tomatoes is lying through their teeth, all the independent studies show there's been a ton of manipulation on some of these websites. And I, so I think the hate is actually way less. Because I've seen it three times now with three very different that audiences, and everybody fucking loves it in the theater. So that's all I can go by cool um so man it's been so awesome having you on again really a pleasure um you've really thought a lot about this movie um it seems like everyone's thinking a lot about this movie. Hour, only 48 hours ago so yeah 
Um, so cool. All right. So final fun, quick question. Any predictions for episode nine, either uh, that you want or you think might happen. That's interesting. Um, and something that you want that may or may not happen is a totally cool response to this. I want to see the situation I described where Ray sim comes to symbolize a complete transformation of what we think of as the soldiers of the force that there's no more of this Sith stuff. There's no more Jedi stuff. Anybody can be a Jedi in one moment and a Sith in the next. And you can feel negative emotions and feelings and you can even act on them and be redeemed in the moment after you stop acting. You know, I, I don't, I want to get away from this idea of one thing that you do defines you forever. And that has kind of been what the Jedi and the Sith were because the Sith, their origin stories are always one thing that drives them permanently to the dark side. I, I want something that's much more humanistic and em empathetic and emotionally real. You know, I want something maybe that's a little closer to the 21st century mm -hmm. understanding of morality. Right. Well, here's, here's a pithy little uh, political comparison we'll wrap up, which is I think the greatest uh, the greatest overall weakness of uh, American liberals is the level of condescension to people who we don't like what they think. Um, it I goes would very much agree with that. Uh, it goes both ways, but the whole if you don't agree with every issue I agree with, and you're less progressive than me, then everything you say is invalidated. And I think here's here's the thing. So if there are gray boundaries to the light side, what do gray boundaries to the dark side look like? That's what I'm interested in. I don't want Kylo to go good, but I do want to see what gray boundaries on the dark side would look like. And I will add my thing. I want another player in the final movie. I'm fine. They got rid of Snoke. But it can't just be them versus Hux and Kylo. I don't think that's enough to sell the momentousness. And I'm going to say something that's maybe going to make you happy, man, which is I've been very following the, the, the ideas being thrown around about the Ryan Johnson trilogy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them involve leaving the galaxy and exploring new civilizations and new aliens, if that sounds familiar to you. I'm not saying they're going full Star Trek, but they definitely want to leave this galaxy behind in some form and, and do some new stuff. And the Force will still be there, but it might be something completely different from what we've seen. Sure. And I'm I, down for that. Or do it just much farther in the future. But I do think that even though they announced the Ryan Johnson trilogy a couple months ago, it didn't feel for me at all in the movie like he was trying to set up his own new trilogy ever. No, not in, not in the least. Um, okay. Final scene, final scene, boy with the broom thoughts. I loved it. It's, it, it is the symbol. It is the final image of this general idea of the democratization where the, the new generation of force users. Also side note, these movies are made for kids and this was clearly, this is the target audience is young children. It always, it has been since return of the Jedi. Let's just acknowledge that and move forward. Uh, but dude, adults still play with action figures too. Everyone was geeking true, out. About but that. come on a little kid with the broom holding his broom. Like he is pretending to be a Jedi wielding a lightsaber. 
that's an image that is supposed to be a young Star Wars fan. But that's fine. I'm okay with that. I you loved know, how subtle the broom grab was. Some people didn't catch it. Yeah, I had to double think about it a second time. Of Did he just telekinetically summon that thing? Yeah. Um, but yeah, he did. You know, I want him to be the symbol of this awakening, haha, mm-hmm. of the force that suddenly everybody can use it. True. But that, but that begs again the question of with great power comes great responsibility type stuff. Yeah, and I'm not saying you don't train these people, but you know maybe the entire approach to training is a little bit different than the old, you know, knights of the round table mentality. Well, I'm going to go platonic and say, why don't we start teaching everyone the Luke talking through the force rather than fighting skills, rather than teaching everyone how to move rocks, for example? That would be very enlightened, right? Like, that's the part of the force that everyone can understand. And I think that's where they're going. Um, It should be very interesting. Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. We went almost two and a half hours, of course. Of course we did. Absolutely inevitable. Um, (laughs) Anything you want to plug? And then I want to ask you about a hypothetical next podcast. Nah, I'm done plugging. Um, So what's... uh, How's S.H.I.E.L.D., by the way? I heard it's decent. Uh, no, it's not. Okay. Um, I, I'm bored with it. I, it yeah. takes place in the future, in a future where Quake has blown up the Earth. My, when I saw that, I thought, Marvel is planning to make movies for the next eight years. I'm pretty sure Quake isn't going to blow up the Earth at the end of this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. Oh, this is my, this is my, this is my final final, which released that, which is, Marvel's making too many movies, and none of them are as good as the Star Wars movies, for the most part. Um, is this just a case of Star Wars making fewer movies and having better personnel? Is it a formula of just doing le- more with less? Or is there something structural, as I was kind of talking about before, as Star Wars being kind of a transcendent movie property as opposed to comic book movies, which, let's be honest, five years from now, we have no idea where they're going to be. I'm pretty sure Star Wars will be around in five years. I'm pretty sure superhero movies will be too. I'd like to think we're going to get less of them for God's sake. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know how to answer that. The success of the last Jedi is that it did something different. Whereas Marvel makes too many movies that are just like all its other movies. And the latest DCEU movie was just trying to be a Marvel movie. So, or half of it was just trying to be a Marvel movie. So may hopefully the lesson that, uh, Kevin Feige and Jeff Johns learns is if you let creators actually do something creative and don't micromanage the shit out of them and don't force them into a uh, formula, they may actually produce something cool. And if I may tie the bow to the thing you said in the very first thing when we were pre-gaming about characters is while Marvel is focusing on big, colorful action-packed craziness, plot twists. Star Wars is focusing first on character, narrative, and dialogue. And I'm not saying comic book movies are not, but I think the priorities are a little different in its show. I agree. I think Marvel originally was character-driven, and they have gotten increasingly away from that, maybe in part because they're mostly still making just sequels. But, you know, I think Guardians of the Galaxy was character-driven. I think Iron Man 1 was character-driven. I thought Avengers was character driven, but I mean, the more of these you see, the more they just seem like the other ones. So Doctor Strange is just magic Iron Man. 
Yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. But um, it's interesting, the compartmentalization in Disney there. Um, awesome, dude. Thank you so much for being on. You are welcome on uh, any time. I'm sorry it took so long for this to happen. Whatever. It's, we're here. We're now. We're present. And, uh, you know, thank God. Let the past die. Yeah, let the past die. You're going to try and seduce me now? Uh, I know. <laughs> uh, for all the misery in the world, the fact that something like Star Wars can unify so many people of ages, generations, genders, etc., and still have a progressive message on top of it is very impressive. Uh, I'm not going to say I love everything Disney does, but I think it's clear that they're letting Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm basically run the show on that side of things. And so yeah, that's cool. Um, cool. All right. Any recommendations for people? Nah, I'll save that for some other time. Awesome, dude. Well, if you come up with any, hit me up and I'll, I'll, I'll put them in the, in the copy. All right. All right, baby. Well, I didn't check the score. I don't know if the Eagles are 12 and two or 13. They won. Two. Uh, they were really with Nick Foles. <laughs> oh man. Cool. Right, you guys are legit. Yeah. I, I, I think it'll be, honestly, I think it'll be you guys and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Well, as they say, I'll see you around, kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Maddie G. Thanks, Bizzlecast listeners. I'm sure there will be more Star Wars content, but this is my first big discussion so far, so this was awesome. So thanks again, Matt. Thanks, listeners. And we are out. <laughs>